Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on March the 24th of 2021. I am Nick here with Chris, and we got a packed episode of Weekly Manga Recap for you guys today. Mm-hmm. Packed because of many chapters. Yes, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't go above and beyond and add no. like sketch, special sketches or anything like that this week, right? Uh, well, you didn't get the memo. Oh, dude, I've got a, I've got a three act structured like thing. We're doing like a whole Hamlet uh, parody. Okay, well, I haven't read Hamlet. I was gonna say I'll improv it, but I have not read Hamlet. So, <laughs> <laughs> this might be is that is that the skull one or is that not the skull one? Okay, it's all right. So uh, I can I can adapt it. We'll do a uh, Death of a Salesman uh, parody. Oh, instead. I could do that. Okay. I'll be every, I'll be every character in that son of a bitch. It's just uh, people yelling at each other because they're angry about the American dream dying. So uh, it's not even that. Yeah, pretty much. It's a lot more sad than that, though. It's a lot less yelling and a lot more the slow, systematic crumbling of a family unit. There's just a little bit of uh, of yelling at, uh, towards the end. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. There's a bug in here. Also representative of the American dream dying. Yeah. My American dream of not of no bugs in my apartment. What happened to that? <laughs> when your family came over from Ellis Island, like, oh, yeah, I can't wait for our great great grandson to no longer have bugs in his house. I don't know what country that was supposed to be from, but that represents the fact that I'm not ethnically sure where you come from. <laughs> That's okay, because I'm not really sure. <laughs> there you go. It all works out. I know where. One of my four grandparents' lines come from comes from basically, and the other all of the others are a little bit vague to me. So there you go. So speaking of lineage, uh-huh. my hero academia uh-huh. last chapter dealt with the lineage of one for all and Deku's determination despite all the previous holders telling him that he needed to kill Shigaraki, saying, No, I need to save him, and then they went, Oh, it was all a test. Good thing that uh, you inherited the power. So we pick up out outside of that in the real world. Uh, well, as much of the as as the world of my hero academia resembles the real world, I guess. Um, our chapter title is. Sorry, I'm going to be looking at that bug every time it goes by. <laughs> our chapter title is at the end of this chapter. It's okay. All you need to know is it's chapter number 306 for right now. So All Might is still watching over Deku. Uh, he apparently can even sense the conversation that is kind of going on inside of uh, Deku's head, which kind of makes sense. They said that part of his soul was inside of Deku now, so maybe the connection goes both ways in certain situations. Um that moment, best genist and Hawks arrive at Deku's hospital room. All Might goes to answer the door. And so they're like, yeah, we've got we've got a few questions to ask about Midoriya because, you know, Endeavor sent us over this way because this is, has to do with one for all. Um, we don't know all the details, but we know that Endeavor knew that Shigaraki was going after Midoriya and it has something to do with this. Is he right about that? Can you inform us anymore? Because this is all kind of important stuff because we don't just have to fight villains. We have to deal with, you know, the challenges facing our society right now. And we kind of have to all be on the same page. And so All Might is left to think about this for a little bit. And uh, he concludes that, oh, that whole thing where I told you, you know, don't tell anyone about this secret to keep you safe and stuff. 
Yeah, I guess that we're past that point now. It's like in the late Animorphs books where it's like the kids didn't really need to keep their secrets anymore because it was kind of an open secret. Spoilers for that book series that everyone <laughs> should be reading right now. Literally right now. Right the now. Podcast. Stop it now. Yeah. <laughs> Catch up on the series before they make that movie uh, adaptation, which may or may not happen because uh, who knows? So, bug. So, uh, All Might has bestiness and Hawk's follow him to a more private place so he can fill them in on things. He promises to tell them everything, but we don't actually see that conversation take place. Instead, we cut to several days later. Uh, Principal Nezu is on the phone with somebody uh, and uh, he says that this is a request from an alumnus. Of course, we'll respond right away. No clue exactly what that conversation is about. Um. And then it's press conference time. This is like the second or third time we've seen heroes get all dressed up in black suits and humbly apologize for the public at a press conference. It's not like the most common thing that happens in My Hero Academia, but it happens with some degree of regularity, it feels like. It feels like that. Is it more of a Japanese thing as well? Because it was like a big deal Wait, in sir. World Trigger as well. So I just assume that's like more of a cultural thing. I guess it happens in America, too. It's just... I don't know, nowadays. I, I remember that being a bigger thing in, like, the 90s and maybe, like, the early 2000s. Like, anytime, like, a politician had, like, a scandal or something happen, it would be, like, they'd have some kind of press conference on their long, like, say someone was found cheating. They'd, like, have a press conference, their wife would be next to them, they would say something, and then out. But I just don't, I feel like that doesn't happen anymore. Maybe because people are shameless now, and they don't care. <laughs> but I just, I wonder if that was specifically more of a japanese thing spin doctoring i think has decided that uh, being insincere about this stuff is uh the best approach now yeah. said no i didn't cheat on my wife i know i did it's because that woman told me to it's all her fault so yeah i anyway. I, I, I i my blood pressure or, or blood sugar levels were spiking that excuses everything i just did etc etc yeah and that's why i did not have sex with that woman but if i did that's why i chose to do that Instead of doing my job and helping you. Anyway, you need to pay me more and no taxes on the rich. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> so, uh, this time it's uh, the top three heroes Hawks, Best Genist, and Endeavor. And of course, they're all wearing nice suits, but he's Best Genist. So, how does he get around this? Well,. <laughs> A very, very high collar. <laughs> I didn't... I guess because of Best Genius' weird outfit, I didn't really ever come to grips with the fact that he's got a long neck. Uh-huh. His outfit just covers it up, I think. So. Well, it wouldn't make sense if he was wearing a pair of pants from his chin down to his shoulders if he didn't have a really long neck. But when you take that element away, you're suddenly very candidly reminded. You're like, how long is his neck is that part of his quirk or just how he was born or i don't know did he force himself did he like do like a neck like he craned his neck slowly like inch by inch over the years he's like one day i'm gonna wear a pair of pants as a scarf the way i want to wear it some cultures do do that uh, yeah. deliberately extend the necks so I don't think they do it so they can wear a stupid pair of jeans from no. top down on their neck. But I don't think the jeans really factor into into the equation now. But yeah. Um. So 
we get some narration that explaining that there are some people who have not lost their faith in hero society. And basically they just want the heroes to pretend like everything's going to be a okay and didn't do anything wrong. And instead Endeavor gets up there and he's like, yeah, my, my, my son that I abused uh, and, and pushed to a life of crime. He was telling the truth. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> just just, just v- is completely honest about everything that happens. And we see like that everyone at the press conference is like, oh, oh, well, shit. And we also see people reacting around the world, including the most. I don't know who this is taking a shot at, but it's taking a shot at someone. But there is some sort of neat watching the proceedings with like, you know, trash bags gathered in his room behind him. And he's just there. He's like, well, that dude's life is over. Okay. (laughs) All right. Not like mine, which is spiraling upwards every day, skyrocketing. Um, so someone says like, I mean, that guy should have just claimed everything was a bunch of lies. Uh, then, uh, I believe that this is in particular a female reporter who uh, seems to get a little bit of the focus uh, during this exchange, who shouts the next bit, which is, what about the accusation with Hawks and Best Genist? And at this point, Hawks's throat has recovered enough now that he's able to speak, although it, he'd sound, it seems like his voice is a bit weak still. And he says, oh, uh, yeah, um, I worked together with Best Genist. Obviously, I didn't kill him. <laughs> he's, for, he's over there. <laughs> But he says, I did that to infiltrate the enemy ranks, but the rest of the accusations are true. My father was a villain and I did kill a villain uh, during that uh, struggle. Those are both true. And I concealed the details about my father and I'm sorry for that. And with Bubai Gawara, I felt like I had no choice. And honestly, the reason that he is dead is because I wasn't up to the task. I couldn't help him to atone for his crimes, so that's down to me. I do, I, I do like this uh, exchange quite a lot. Um, it's you know pretty interesting. I, it blows my mind that he is able. I guess they have to because the fact that like he killed Best Genius was like a part of Dobby's speech. But it is insane to me to be like. No, no, the plan that I had to publicly pretend to murder one of my colleagues to infiltrate enemy ranks, he just has to, like, publicly come out with it. Like, I don't know why that just, like, there's a part of me that's like, that seems crazy to announce it, like, to the world. That's like a some sort of CIA deep operative plan that doesn't get revealed until 20 years down the line. Yeah, you, usually yeah. when everyone involves kind of no longer in any kind of public spotlight or anything like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's not going to be able to be to be a double agent anymore now that he's done that. So. Yeah. The female reporter says during Gigantomachia's rampage, my mother was horribly wounded. So you saying it's all true. Sorry, doesn't change any of that. Do you have the slightest idea how many people lost their homes in just under a week? How can you stand there pretending it's all over like what's done is done? Villains are directly to blame, but your mistakes caused all this, and none of your faces show you understand that. And I kind of love Endeavor's response to this, because he says, if we showed you our pain and exhaustion and tears, would that fix everything? And she, of course, gets immediately pissed off, and he's like, well, no, you need to put society at ease. You need to take down the villains, and that's how, that's how... And Endeavor says, yes, 
that's how I, as Endeavor, can atone. Basically going like, look, I'm not the touchy-feely, everything's going to be okay hero. I'm the I take down the villains hero, and that is how I will make up for this. <laughs> and it's like, if he tried to do things the All Might way, it wouldn't work because he's not All Might. So, yeah. And you can like that or not like that. It does come off as very blunt and kind of cold, but that's just the type of person he is. So it makes me wish uh, the series took a little bit more from World Trigger because I, I want to know who the PR person for the heroes is and what <laughs> they're doing backstage when they're just like, oh, man, I really should have prepped for that. I don't know why I didn't think this question would come up at all. <laughs> I don't know. They don't seem particularly shocked by any of these uh, things that they're getting. So maybe they did prep. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, best genus starts doing weird things with his hands. Uh, <laughs> he, he, yeah, he's like, just uh, and this is the fox. <laughs> Goes in the hole. <laughs> um, he indicates, hey, heroes are ill-equipped to protect the masses right now. So we think that the best thing we can do in order to help people right now is reduce the sphere that requires our protection. I thought I understood what he was doing at first. I thought he was holding up four fingers and then he was bending these two down as his way of being like, we're going to consolidate. But it's actually these two fingers and it's the rest of his hand. So he's doing this. So now I have no idea what he's talking about anymore. I guess that's also what he's trying to get across, like consolidation. But it's weird to do it with like the thumb as one of the barriers when it's not for like i don't know it's just a lot easier when you do this plus you could easily then snap your finger forward you can go in for a two sweet you can go with nwo for life you can do whatever you need to really oh that's oh it feels so awkward how is he doing that nick he can control doing that without the ring finger going down he can do he, he controls all fibers including all the ones in his body that's what he's muscle fibers yeah ah. exactly okay so Everyone says, what the hell do you mean, reduce the sphere of influence? That'd be great if everyone was like, I don't get what you're doing with your fingers. <laughs> Everybody stops like, I don't, I'll get back to what you're actually talking about later. But right now, what's, what's the finger diorama mean, basically? And essentially, what they say is that they're turning the hero schools, including UA, into shelters, evacuation shelters for people. And uh, the students of those schools are already taking shelter in the schools right now. And so people are like, what? So you just want us to live in shelters to be safe? That'd be yes. nice. <laughs> yes, that would be <laughs> really helpful. We are in crisis this. mode right now. So uh, Endeavor says, this is for finding a path forward. Your criticism and doubts, direct them all at me, not at the people who will be putting their lives on the line. I want all of you to just watch me. And he goes, flaming eyebrows mode when he says this uh we get a little bit of a collage of heroes kind of picking themselves up uh you know showing the battle damage that they've suffered and stuff like that uh aizawa seems to have lost an eye or something along those lines at some point um mirko's like doing something to like tourniquet her arm and uh people aren't looking so good but they're still there so I was really hoping for a shot of uh, Yorai Musha, and it's just him, like, getting his golf reservation, like, ticket or something like that. Like, him at a spa day, just relaxing. 
<laughs> Shows all the former top ten, including Crust's head stove. <laughs> Most of them were coming back to help. Now is that um I know it's it's Wishwash or whatever, uh Mount Lady. Yeah. Uh and then is that Kamui Woods at the bottom? I believe so. Because I don't I was like I don't I would assume, because I was like, I guess Kamui Woods always wears the mask, but I, I've never seen, like, the leaf hair before, so. I believe that that's Mount Lady at the top, because that kind of looks like her mask. Yeah, so. that's definitely Mount Lady. I thought, my first instinct was that it might have been Ryukyu. Oh, no, uh, Nick, she, she would have to be a somewhat important character for her to show up on this collage. Yeah, I guess so. And, uh... Why is Mount Lady more important than her? Because <laughs> uh, she, uh, she had some kind of character development. She had a moment. She used to be just kind of like a vanity hero who was most interested in that. But she was willing to put everything on the line to stop Gigantomachia. Also, uh, giant butts are a thing and are a lot easier to market, I guess. I don't know. I was about to express my my uh, how impressed I was with your explanation, and then you just did that. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, both points are equally as valid, I feel like. <laughs> Dobby, we also see reacting to the news, and he just says, so I didn't go far enough. So, um, The reporter is also apparently asked to never about one for all, and you just went, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then we get uh, we cut over to uh, 1A's dorm, and apparently Deku has left notes for everyone. Uh, they seem to be individualized uh, for various people. The only one that we actually see in full is uh, Uraka's. Um, but, you know, people are running around wondering about the notes uh, that Deku has left and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, my God, he's being he's being targeted by Shigaraki and the villains. What's going on with Midoriya? Uh, and... We see Uraku, you know, just kind of like silently looking over her note and she kind of like taps into her forehead and just goes that dummy because he's off on his own where no one can help him. And narration kind of drives this point home by saying, if you define a hero as someone willing to suffer in silence, then who's there for them when they're in pain? Oh, so deep. I was going to say, I like the moment. I hate that quote. I, any any who watches the Watchmen, who protects the hero? Like, it's just like, it's always not nearly as actually cutting as you think it is. Um, so Viz recently put uh, like a whole bunch of like side stories from My Hero Academia. I forget who did them or anything, but they're like they're called like team up missions. Oh, yeah, the team up missions. Um, and so one of the ones that I read was it has to do with some characters from the first My Hero movie. And there's a wonderful exchange in it because uh, Melissa, who is, you know, the special heroine of the first movie, doesn't have a quirk. Uh, and she's a, she's, you know, a oh, is this the one with uh, the scientist, girl, the inventor girl? And they both just try to invent Deku outfits, basically. Of uh, not that one. OK, but um, so. I mean, she might have been in that one as well, but um, basically it's it's a flashback to her childhood when um, she first encounters All Might because All Might works with her dad who does all of his support items and stuff. And, you know, she is like, well, I can't be a hero if I don't have a quirk and stuff like that. And she sees All Might take out a villain and save the day and stuff. And All Might's like, you know, just because, you know, you don't have powers doesn't mean you you can't help someone. Your father invents all this gear that helps keep me safe. Your father is my hero. 
It's like, oh, that's freaking precious and adorable. And if and he went so. to a school, he would be my hero, academia. That doesn't make any sense. You're right. Ev, turn to the camera and say it then. And hold up a thumbs up and smile. And it doesn't matter what you say. It sounds cool. <laughs> but, um, you know, it comes, it carries across the same idea, but it's, you know, not super angsty and cliche. It's just like, oh, that's a nice sentiment. Heroes need people who help them too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, no, this is like the most, being a hero is lonely. It's so yeah. again, it's just, it's just the delivery of the line. I, again, I appreciate the sentiment in the moment. It's just that line is not a particularly good one. And I do like seeing that like, Oh, apparently, you know, Deku mostly came clean to a lot of people about stuff. He didn't tell them about everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't seem like, but, uh, he cares about his friends, so he's leaving them behind. And our last shot of the chapter is Deku staring out over some sort of cityscape, seeing some sort of destruction in the background and observing there is a giant villain at work. As we get narration saying that in April, Deku left the Hero Academy. Thus ends chapter 306. The final act begins. So... There's some good stuff in this chapter. Mm-hmm. When I first, I actually first heard a little bit about um, this chapter from spoilers before it came out. And I heard about, you know, like, oh, Deku is, is leaving the Academy. What's going on? And I, my first thought was, oh, that could be kind of nice. You know, get Deku to go away somewhere for a little bit and potentially focus on some of the people who are left behind and give some focus to some, you know, characters that have needed it for a while. I don't think that's going to happen, though. I think we're going to mostly follow Deku on his solo journey um, right now. That's the impression that I get, which I don't know. I don't think that I'm super excited to see that. Uh, I feel like, you know, this is a prime, you know, opportunity to just be like, and then Deku went and did a little bit of off screen training and came back and just get that stuff out of the way as opposed to. And then Deku went off on his own far away from all of the most interesting characters in the series. <laughs> I can imagine we'll get a, a blend of both to some extent. Um, but I, I really, really like this chapter a lot. Like I really, really loved it. Um, mostly because, you know, I didn't have any expectations going into it. So like when like halfway through, it's kind of just the press conference. I'm like, okay, got to get some of these things out of the way. And then it cuts to the school and it's Deku being like, okay, so I just dropped my secret and I left the school and I'm like, fucking what? Excuse me? Like, it's, here's the thing, guys. Number one pet peeve when it comes to superhero shit, secret identities. And Deku secretly being the the one for all inheritor, it's basically a secret identity. So I'm so happy that's out pretty much in the open. Essentially, everybody who matters at this point will know. Um, So I love that part of it. And then you get this cool two-page spread, which look... It is very edgy. It is definitely a Batman pose, but I had it pointed out, and I love seeing it now, how this is a fantastic um, comparison point to the first chapter of My Hero, where the first chapter of My Hero is Deku in the crowd looking up to a fight with a gigantic monster, and now 300 chapters later, he is a hero looking down on a gigantic monster, and his eyes are tired and worn down, and he has none of that jubilance anymore. It is a really good setup to a a third act of My Hero, or whatever you want to call this, and I think this is actually a, a pretty exciting thing. 
Um, I don't know how I feel about it yet. Okay. I think that I will, I will draw a conclusion when we actually see what happens. I did not get a whole lot of excitement out of this when I saw it. Some people are saying that he's in New York now, which I guess is possible, but I don't know. I don't see any particular, you know, uh, landmarks that make me think, oh, that's definitely New York or anything like that. There's the gargoyle he's purchased on, but yeah. that's it. I was going to say so. maybe the kind of gothic architecture would seem to suggest, I don't, but I don't know Japan's architecture. They might have gothic architecture there, too. I don't know. So, yeah. yeah. Um, who knows? I, I'm, I'm, if also, nothing else, boy, intrigued. boy needed to take a change of clothes. He's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> how, how else are you going to sell? Look, he's not old enough to have like heavy five o'clock shadow. So they needed something to show that he's like worn out and hasn't been taking care of himself. So they're like, all right, tore up his clothes or something like that. You see, you might think that that was from his, uh, from his battles up to this point. No, 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 no. He just doesn't understand how to uh, dry clean and <laughs> just shoved all of his clothes into one washer. and was like, oh, yeah, crap. Materials. My bunny mask is ruined. I'm going to look stupid oh, when no. I go out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. It is going to be interesting to see how, um, you know, the people that he's been keeping this secret from now react to this, because it seems yeah. as though All Might has left the Academy as well, because narration says that. Um, they mentions Deku and All Might together at the exact moment that they get the notes. So yeah, I, I think so there's we'll a I think there's a lot that we kind of need to wait and see what ultimately happens. But I think I'm kind of excited for it. Also, spoiler alert: I was pretty positive with just about everything this week in manga, so I might just be coming in with that attitude. All right, let's move on to Boruto. Now to take back that statement I just said. <laughs> What, that you thought you, you thought you knew everything about everything that's going to happen. Well, no, 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 I thought every I thought most of the series this week were good. Oh, okay. uh, Boruto, not so much this week. Uh, it doesn't help that it starts with uh, the weird, somewhat like model pose of like a twelve-year-old character, including like the discretionary hand over the upskirt shot. Like it's just one of those ones. It just is very uncomfortable and gross. Chapter number 56, Code. So, Boruto gets to go on a talk show. They have those. Nick, they have those. It's, it's, there's talk show. This this feels a lot like that moment at the start of regular Naruto where they were like, I'm, I'm on the cat. And you were like, they have radios? <laughs> it's like the moment here. They're like, they have talk shows? I guess. And I like to think, who would like ninja conan o'brien be or something like that like he actually uses jutsus to use the string dance kind of thing or something <laughs> <laughs> oh he actually is moving his <laughs> <laughs> he's a puppet jutsu master <laughs> and it's puppets at the bodies oh god so also I, I i have to criticize naruto and hinata here because they knew that their boy was going to be appearing on some talk show. Mm-hmm. Get him some nice clothes. <laughs> he just shows up in his track jacket and V collared shirt. He looks like he came off the street. Look your best when you're in these kind of shows, unless you have a very signature look. And Boruto, you don't have a signature look. <laughs> Uh, I thought my signature look was looking disheveled and mildly appropriate for the settings I was in. <laughs> kind of like a cool, I'm not really trying kind of look. D- 
Did he take a bath before he appeared on this show? <laughs> okay, almost no, certainly not. The bigger question is, did he wash his clothes between coming onto the show and that? He just came straight from the battle. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Kawaki is having a checkup with Amado and Katasuke and Katasuke's daughter, Sumire. Um, Amado has whipped up a hand for him to use, like an arm that like actually, you know, will belong to him as opposed to one that, you know, Naruto has to put his chakra through. Which I guess makes sense because who knows how much chakra Naruto now has if you know the QB's gone. I was ha- uh, I was having people talk about this. Wasn't part of Naruto though that the reason he could take the QB is because he still had a stupidly high amount of chakra. Yeah, but I don't know how much of that, how much is which. Okay, because I know that the QB's chakra is you know he does have a lot of it too. So. Yeah. But uh, in, in, in any case, this is a much better long term solution. Yeah, than, yeah absolutely. So. Um, so Sumire is is basically just kind of like being a, an assistant and helping out her dad and stuff like that. They talk. Oh, they just kind of say nothing a bit, but they start to talk up Sumire because like Sumire has gotten a lot of character development in the Boruto anime, but almost none to speak of at all whatsoever in the manga. So we got to talk her up a little bit. I assume she's got character development in the anime. Maybe she hasn't. <laughs> I can only get, I can only assume that a weekly series that has been running for as long as that has, has gotten more chance to focus on more characters. I have to assume that. So that'd be a good guess. So, um, they're talking about Sumire for a bit, and Kawaki, I guess, is like, why the fuck is she here, <laughs> is I think that what he's getting at. Um, but Kataske is like, oh, she, she knows, you know, what she's doing, and she wanted to be here, too. Um, and Sumire says, hey, you know, you, you can rest assured to me, and you, but, you know, try not to get hurt from now on. Besides, you're always hanging out with Boruto, so I can ask you about him, too. And Kawaki's immediately like, do you have the hots for Boruto? Is that what's going on here? Because you just, you just... she's being super obvious about it. And then immediately she's like, don't, don't just say it. <laughs> Which is weird, because I remember not that long ago, there was a shot where it was her and Sarada. And she like looked and she's like. I like Boruto. I'm going to go after him. And I'm not going to lose in this love thing or something. like. That. She was very on front. She like, I'm going to be as direct as possible. So I guess it's one of those things that when confronted with it, she's like, oh, no, <laughs> I'm not actually that brave. Well, you know, she was talking. That was girl talk. Yeah. See, uh, so that was, you know, throwing the Bechtel test into the sun. This <laughs> is her being shy in front of another guy about mm-hmm. it. So. And adults, too. She doesn't want adults knowing about her child, you know, her kid crushes and whatnot. Which, ironically, if she knew her stuff, she would know that Kawaki was the one that she really needed to make her love rival declaration to. So, Which is very interesting. Yes, also. <laughs> um but it's also very interesting that, like, the cool, edgy bad boy is the one there. And she's like, fuck you. I want the fucking dumb as dirt, fucking dry as as a desert, fucking plain as vanilla hero character. I don't get out of here with your edges and your spikes and your character yeah. development. <laughs> Give me that fucking that fucking boring ass character. 
Have you ever been on Ninja Conan? No. <laughs> Ninja Conan? Konahanen. It all works. Oh. Holy shit, it was destiny. <laughs> Konahanen. <laughs> we just want to take his theme song and just add like the drum beats they used to add to the... Just Conan with a weird Naruto headband on. Oh, like he's about to go out and he's just like, all right, boys, let's have a good one. And then his hair like coifs over like normal. It's all, it's all jutsus. Oh my God. Someone write Conan. (laughs) Got a great sketch idea for him. Hey, Conan, I know that you're like 60 years old, but I there's like a manga that was popular 20 years ago about ninjas that you might enjoy our riff on. Hold on. How old is Conan O'Brien? I mean, he's getting in up to 60. Yeah, he'll be 60 in a couple in a few in like uh, two years. Jeez. Huh? I mean, he's been doing late nights since 94 yeah, or yeah. something like that. And he was like 30 then, I think. Anyway. So Kawaki says whatever and leaves. Uh, then Boruto finishes up his time on the talk show, and Boruto's like, ha, 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 and it's awkward. We cut to all the other kids, basically. Um, Serata is hugging a pillow and is annoyed, mostly because, as we learn, that Boruto has been pulled from action for the time being, and because he's been pulled from action, they don't have a three-man cell, because Kawaki's not a ninja, I assume, so he can't just sub in for him. Well, I and assume maybe that's what the lead into this eventually is. Because Boruto's out, they don't have a three-person squad. Maybe Kawaki becomes officially a ninja and helps fill in that spot. I don't know. Uh, so Serata and Mitsuki have been pulled from action as well. Um, oh, God, why are you wearing overalls, kid? Jeez. So uh, <laughs> they say basically nothing of importance while expositing, which is very impressive. <laughs> a uh, lot, lot of text bubbles and not a lot of pertinent information being shared in it. Even though they're explaining the situation, it's just like none of this matters. It's just keep going. Uh, Boruto uh, is trying to do Deku's cool pose from this chapter, but he's just, I mean, he, he just looks like he's, you know, moping, which he is. Some girls are like, oh my god, he was on Ninja Conan. And he waves to them and is like, oh no, the karma. And so he puts the hand down. And I'm like, dude, if you're worried about that being seen, wear Wear, a glove. Yeah, wear a glove. I don't... Plus, first and foremost, knowing the, like, fucking style of children in this series, there is no way these kids would not find fingerless gloves to be the coolest fucking thing in the world. I guarantee they would be all over it. Or put a strap around your hand, because apparently straps are the coolest thing in the world. Did you hear? Straps with studs on are the hottest thing it's, in all of Ninja World. Especially. They're, they're second only to Ninja Conan. Those are the two things there are the kids are clamoring about. But you can also use your ninja straps to teleport around, too, so you can have form and function in one awful package. <laughs> We're almost there. Oh. <laughs> Kawaki shows up and has a meaningful conversation with Boruto. At first, it's kind of the same stuff that we've seen before. You know, hey, stupid, stop being mopey. I respect you, but I'm acting like I hate you. But we're friends, even though we kind of don't like each other's, you know, vibes. So. (laughs) 
Boruto, did you hear about the guys who used blood magic to control the Diamond King? Well, I thought of something <laughs> that is a little bit less morally dubious. Just slightly. You know how you have become Momoshiki's vessel? You're, you're going to disappear and have that guy resurrect in your body. And Boruto's like, yeah, that really sucks. Having my free will, you know, knowing my free will has been taken away like that. And Kawaki's like, well, I thought of something. Why not pass the buck on to some other? I, I, I forgot this conversation took place until you started. I was like, fuck, Kawaki really does just suggest, like, why don't you just pass this curse on to somebody else? Why not prepare your own vessel by giving someone else a karma? And Bart is like, what the fuck? And Kawaki's like, I mean, I don't know if it'll work, but... If Momoshiki resurrects and you disappear, if you had your own vessel, maybe you could use it to reincarnate too. And Bord is like, well, that sounds crazy and stupid. Is there someone I could try it on? <laughs> and Kawaki's like, well, as it so happens, I know one asshole that nobody likes. His name is Code, which I know, I know. But before you laugh, <laughs> he does have a studded strap going across his face. Like... Look, I know you think the name Code's stupid, but by the time you see him, his name will be the last thing you think of when you think of the dumbest thing about him. Oh, <laughs> uh, but Kawaki tries to also it's pick up. like a hard cut to an overhead shot of him on the next page of his big stupid strap. <laughs> I'm going to kill people with this. <laughs> That's why I wear it. <laughs> so... Everyone's talking about Code, while Code is off. Everybody, the Nick, he's the popular. He's the popular character of this series. Everyone loves Code. Listen, I know we haven't talked about Code at all for the last. When did this series start? Four years ago, Jesus Christ! But Code's really impressive, you guys. He's so he survived the ritual by Jigen. He's not compatible with it, but he is compatible. Um, it's kind of confusing. I don't know if he's compatible or incompatible. He's the strongest ninja ever, Nick. He's super strong. So he wanders through some snow, comes across two guys in parkas, and they're like, Who are you? And he's like, Oh, I'm an acquaintance of Boro, and this is his cult facility, right? <laughs> cult facility. Anyway, so... He's at the cult facility, which could mean only one thing. It's time for the final action scene of the movie. Uh-huh. So. Code extends claws from his hands. And one of the guys in the park is goes. Well, well, hold on. Before we even get to that part, he extends claws, but his hair also shoots up like he's gone Super Saiyan. Like it's a two fan. It's a two level gimmick as well. Oh, yeah, I guess it does get a little bit spikier. Um, one of the guys in the parka says, Halt! This is your last warning! And Code says, Yeah, before you die. This <laughs> <laughs> sucks so much! It took one line before you're like, Oh, there's nothing cool to this character. He sucks in every way imaginable. <laughs> 
<laughs> like that line so bad. Yeah, before you die. And I like he immediately murders everybody, so no one's around afterwards to be like, come up with a better follow-up, my god. Like, come on. So he, he basically to say no you. <laughs> basically. So I like to think he murders these two guys and then just carries on. He's like, that was the fucking coolest thing I could have said. I am so cool. You know what? As a reward, I'm going to get another strap to go across my my head. I'm going to wear another accessory wrong. Kawaki. I'm going to wear a nail polish as eyeshadow because I fucking can't stop me. Oh, you tried to stop me? You're dead now. <laughs> just, keeps, just keeps rewarding himself with worse and worse accessories. I'm going to put a I'm going to put a lip ring through my eyelid. <laughs> I got fingerless gloves, but I cut off half of them. (laughs) Oh, man. So Kawaki explains that when he came to Kara, Jigen did a ritual thing where there are a bunch of other kids in test tubes like him. And a lot of them were tested and had seizures and died. He was the second to last one in the group. And Code was the last one. So Kawaki says, I passed out at that point. It was moved elsewhere, so I didn't see what happened afterwards. But apparently, Jigen gave the last kid karma as well. But it failed. Like the other kids that had died, his body started to shake and spasm. He could not become a vessel. Except, for whatever reason, he didn't die. He survived, just like me. He was compatible with karma. So... He's compatible, but he's not compatible. Whatever. So. He survived, I is maybe, I guess, the big takeaway. Like, maybe he's not compatible. karma powers, so. He does, but he also wasn't a karma vessel. They specifically, like, he yes. could not inherit Kashiki's power, uh, karma or anything like that. So, he's compatible, but, like, probably due to something else biologically in him or something like that. Code fights the Parker guys. His first move is to throw out big straps with studs on them. <laughs> and they just kind of like land there and don't do anything at first. But then Code vanishes. And while the two of them are looking around, they're like, what is, what, what's with these black bands here? And Code searches up out of the band behind one of them. And stabs the guy from behind with his claws. I want, like, it in Code's mind how this scene went. Is he threw his bands out and he teleports. And one of the guys is like, what are these black bands? They're so cool and anybody who wears them is the best. Oh, I've been killed by someone so awesome with a great one-liner. Like, in his mind, everyone is reinforcing that he's the coolest character around. You're so cool and they're <laughs> killing me. I'm so glad I get to be killed by such a cool character. Oh. So he stabbed the first guy, and then it took me forever to figure out what happened here, because it does not give you any sense of what actually, how this appears, but he then twitches his hand and either makes a band appear on the guy, or he throws a band and it sticks to the guy. I don't know. Something. He does something with his real cool bands. Either way, now there is a band on the guy, 
and he sticks his claws through another band and they teleport and are sticking out of the guy's chest and the guy's like, please don't kill me. And then he slashes the guy's jugular and kills him. Now, if it had been me, if I were able to land a clean shot on somebody, I don't know, I feel like I'd just throw kunai at them. <laughs> I just want that second guy's last words, Mick. Please bury me in something cooler than this. I don't want people to see my lame black bands on my shirt before I die. <laughs> just like... Uh, as a last respect for the for you two, I will put you in <laughs> just like drapes black bands over their <laughs> eyes. <laughs> oh yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> oh boy. He goes inside the door. Meanwhile, while Kawaki's been giving this explanation to Boruto about who a code is, Amaya's been giving the same explanation to Shikamaru and Naruto. Okay. And Shikamaru's like, he can't be used as a vessel, but the karma remained? That's possible? Yes, because it is now. Shut up. Anyway, so... Uh, they say... <laughs> Sorry, this is the part that I forgot about that I'm remembering is so stupid. <laughs> so, they're like, there's a lot we don't know about karma. And the reaction that took place in Code's body is especially astounding. His combat abilities exceeded even Jigen's. Almost every member of Kara has had their body remodeled in order to strengthen it, but it's the exact opposite in Code's case. He's had limiters put in to check his formidable strength in order to avoid the undermining of Jigen's position as leader. He's so strong that they needed to put limiters on his power. Oh! He's the strongest, coolest character, Nick. We just so never realized strong. it. He's the best. I would love it if, like, because we're going to find out what his stupid power is with those black bands. And I would love it if they were like, yeah, he, he has this ability to kind of teleport anywhere. Uh, he could have chosen any material he wanted, so he could have chosen, like, concrete or something that would be, like, all around him, but instead he chose these big stupid black bands, so he has to throw them all out. He placed a limiter on himself and then turned it into a cool accessory. Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh. So. Do, 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 do. Amaz saying that there are several cyborgs he created that were stronger than Gigans, but he had to dispose of them. Um, do There's nothing important really saying being said right now. I don't care. Do do do. Borat is like, hey, I guess we could just <laughs> sacrifice someone else's life so I could live instead. Sure, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> so they're talking more about code and how and what a cool, awesome, super strong character he is, and what they can do about karma. And uh, how strong code is. And uh, then Boruto brings up, well, dad doesn't have Kurama's power anymore. He won't be as strong as he used to be. And we can't depend on him forever. We got to step up. So no matter how strong and cool code is, do you know what Shinobi do in times like these? Goaki's like, what are you talking about? We train. Okay. So they're, they're going to go train. Code has entered the facility. He comes across an old-looking guy called Bug. Yep, that's Bug. me, old man Bug, hanging out inside the code facility. What, what's up? What's up with you? What are you doing? Oh, hey, 
Code? <laughs> hey, Code. Code's the coolest character there is, eh? I got your black band you gave me last time. Thanks for that. I'll be your cool kid now. <laughs> but Nick, what if he's the bug in the code? Mm. Maybe their names are supposed to connect. I think that that might be the case. I mean, he also had Delta. Uh, so. uh, it might just be that, like, uh, what, Kara was the name of the group? They might have just said dumb names. <laughs> Yeah, it might just be trying to fit in like the new edgy. This isn't your daddy's Naruto, which is weird because I, I mean, it's not really. It was kind of the same generation of kids. <laughs> Naruto didn't run that long. So, Code says Jigen is dead, and Boro's probably dead too. And then he asks, "How's Ada?" And Bug's like, "What are you talking about?" And Code says. Boros secretly stored several cyborgs here that Jigen had ordered to be scrapped. I don't know his motive, but maybe it'll be as an ace up his sleeve. Anyway, take me to them. And Bug's like, well, I don't want you to kill me, but uh, are you sure Boros dead? Because he'll kill me too. And Code just stares at him. He's like, okay. Can I, can I get can I get another cool black band, please? Can I, okay. can, can I get money? They're like, what money? You won't need money with all these cool black bands I'm going to give you. Like, oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely eat and have shelter with these. Thanks. So he yeah, takes them into a room. There is a tank of some sort, and there is a woman inside the tank named Ada. And Code goes up to her and says, hello, Ada. You who knows everything in this world. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, I know some people are angry because it looks like she's wearing like children's pajama pants because it has all the stars and stripes on it, or the stars and planets on it. I will note, it's not a skirt, as you can see from the prior shot. They are super tight uh, or high up shorts, actually. Uh, essentially boy shorts. So, uh, her design is even dumber than you thought. Uh, I will also dressing comfortably. She's 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 sleeping, so she's in her PJs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That'd be great. She's like, oh, I just woke up. I should put on something that doesn't look awful. You you want to join me? He's like, what do you mean? I look I look perfect. And she's like, uh, sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, man, I wish this was just Orochimaru or something like that. I know uh, Orochimaru isn't a hot robot girl, um, but Orochimaru could, honestly. He could (laughs) be, It would not be that big of a shock at this point. So, uh, yeah, I guess, whatever. It's fucking robot girl. I don't care. Yeah, this is just something where you're just like, I'm sure she'll be something, but like, at this point, I'm just... I'm just following along mostly with the humor of following code. Like, it, this is the dumbest character with the stupidest design, and it just makes me enjoy following him. So I hope this character is also, like, she comes out, she's like, she looks at him, and then, like, she's she's like, I want one. And then she puts a big dumb strap on her head, too. Everyone has dumb strap-based powers. Like, oh, I can shoot electricity, but it has to be across these big dumb straps across my head or something. <laughs> and then the next chapter is more characters we know talking about how cool Code is. Like, fucking, uh, uh, 
Kakashi Cody uh, Koji shows up and he's like, I will join you guys, but first let me talk to you about how cool Code is. Do you know he had limiters placed on it because he was too powerful? <laughs> just, every character like, they find like I heard that he went to the prom and he took home every girl there. <laughs> like they find a hologram of fucking Boro that he left behind. <laughs> it's just like he's like, I'm here to tell you everything you need to know. Of course, the first detail being that Code is super cool. <laughs> like they they uh do some sort of ritual that summons like a villain from the past or something like that like kakuzu or sasori show up and like, yeah all right now that you've summoned me he's like oh oh code oh oh man i oh, well i thought i was big shit but uh, you well, that band right there how can i compete with that <laughs> they dig up hidan and they're like we need your help to fight code and he's like code bury me i don't want to be involved with that scuffle (laughs) (laughs) all right right, let's talk about a better series (laughs) kaiju number eight chapter 29 hoshino was just getting his ass kicked by the super tough rival kaiju guy and uh we see a flashback uh as uh, he, as a, a young man, a boy, perhaps even, uh, was sitting with his father. They're both, you know, wearing very traditional robes. And uh, his father says, or I assume it's his father, says, if this were back in the Edo period, you would be lauded as, as a prodigy. But the era of blades is long over. You should give up on joining the defense force. Starts to come to. As Okanogi is crying out for him, uh, and he just says, "It's okay, I'm still kicking," and he you know puts on this big happy smile, even though he's got blood coming from about four different parts of his face, and he starts to get up, and uh, he observes like, "Yeah, that guy is no joke," and I don't have max release now, so he requests word of status on the outside. Okanogi says that the the civilians are being evacuated soon. The troops are making progress, fending off the Yoju. And Oshina's like, okay, well, I better hop to it, too. I got a job I need to finish as well. The giant kaiju is bearing down on him, is going to crush him with a punch, uh, but he gets out of the way and starts using his sword techniques again on the guy. And he's trying to cut into the thing uh, but the rival kaiju just says, I've got you figured out. Those blades won't be me. And Hoshino, while he keeps dodging around, thinks to himself, shut up. I know. I've known that for a while. And he again thinks back to his father, who says, your unleashed combat power for marksman weaponry is low. And that won't do in the modern era. And uh, later on, when he is going through training, he's told by someone saying, you should give up. Recent years, kaiju trend towards giant class. Your blades can't get the job done alone. You know, become a sword slaying technique instructor instead. Uh, And Hoshino just says, I've been hearing that crap since I was a kid. But she told me something different. And we got to a different flashback to Hoshina meeting Mina, who says, I hear you're a blade specialist. You know, she's like, yeah, I am. Okay, she's going to tell me how I should quit because I only use blades. And Mia turns around and says, I need you. I need your abilities. Will you join my force? We can't overlook the possibility of powerful miniature-sized threats cropping up. And also, I'm totally inept with bladed weaponry, unlike you. 
I try not to use a kitchen knife if I can help it. When I need to shoot a threat, can I trust that you'll clear a path for me? And in the present, Hoshina says, she left me in charge, and I'm going to defend this base to the end. And he keeps on dodging around the guy that it nearly crushes him with his with its tail, and he runs up the tail and slashes into his back. He's using sword technique after sword technique, two, three, four, five. And he goes for number six, and it grabs him in one giant hand and starts to crush him. As Otonogi and the others in the operating room look on in dismay, as Kafka runs up and is still looking like he's about a block away from the scene, and he thinks about what, and uh, Kafka thinks about what Ichikawa had warned him don't do anything reckless. Kafka shout radios over to Ichikawa saying, I'm sorry, because he knows that if he does this, he's going to be seen. I mean, he's, he's running into the base in order to save his vice captain. We also see shots of drones that are following everything, yeah. so he'd be seen transforming immediately. But Kafka says as he starts to transform that every life on the squad is worth saving. But before he can do anything... A radio message comes in saying, good job holding things down, everyone. And everyone reacts to this. And Hoshina, still in the grip of the kaiju, says, hey, I got you beat. And then its arm gets exploded off. Unfortunately, not the arm holding him, but it then drops him. Yeah. Not just the arm, like half the torso is gone. Like the entire left side of this thing is shot off in one gigantic explosion. And Oshina says as he falls, I'm the vice captain of the base. Passing the baton to her is my job. And of course, Mina's arrived. And she sends word to Okanogi saying, a bridging request due to emergency. I'm blasting this thing away. And she's got her giant-ass gun with her, and she is unleashing maximum combat power to 96% to shoot this thing up. There's also a a visual of, like, a tiger behind her, and I want to believe that that tiger is really there, even though it probably isn't. (laughs) It is. That's her tiger. She's got a tiger? Yeah. Since the first time we ever saw her, she had a big ass tiger that's never done anything. <laughs> yeah, she had like a big ass tiger the first time we saw her in her house or whatever. I'm very happy. <laughs> I'm. I mean, we'll have to see it do something. I guess. I just feel like it's never done anything. It's just been around. So maybe it like. I don't know. Maybe she rides it and shoots shit. <laughs> That'd be kind of dope. The chapter was extremely cool, though. I, I think. Uh, it was a really cool like build up. It made Hoshino look good. We got some more explanation about him and everything he's about. And then it wraps up. I, it also gives us the moment of Kafka being like, I, you know what? I'm going to do it. I know this is the end of everything, but I will not lose Hoshina at this point. So it's that moment. And then the big like, oh, nope, she's here. And Hoshina being like, no, I'm the vice captain. I'm just here to make sure things are good for her. Basically, it's, you know, it's a cool pass into the baton moment. I think that this was also a much needed uh, little bit for Mina. It's still just in the realm of like, wow, she sure is strong, but showing more of the background, how she interacts with people beyond just Kafka, I think helps. It's starting to help flesh her out a little bit. So yeah, great chapter. So yeah. Spy family mission 43. 
So, <sighs> so <laughs> trying to figure out how I can get through this chapter as quickly as possible. Okay. <laughs> I didn't really care for the chapter itself, but I like the implication at the beginning and end. Um, so Lloyd's informant guy, whose name is mentioned in this chapter, and I'm flipping around trying to find it, Frankie. So he tries to get Lloyd to help him find a cat that belongs to a server at his favorite cafe who's upset that she's lost him. And he's like, Twilight, I need to bring Casey's smile back. We got you got to help me find this cat so things can get good between me and Casey. Lloyd just like no, just walks away. She said, I, I'm I'm not dealing with any of this. Fuck this. This is stupid. So Frankie's like, fine. Don't underestimate the power of informants. He calls around to his entire information chain in the city, and asking for tips. Eventually, he gets word of a cat on a particular street. So he goes around looking for it. He runs into your who is out on this in the same area because she works near city hall where this, where he got this tip. Yours like, Oh, a missing cat. I'll help you find it. I'll help you find him. So Frankie's got a bunch of stupid devices to help him find and then grab this cat. None of them work. That's the joke. Okay. So <laughs> eventually he puts on a exoskeleton power suit to try and get this thing. And he's like, I'll use this in order to give me the speed necessary to catch that cat. It takes 15 minutes for it to warm up, so hold still until then. You dumbass. Yours like, Frankie, let me borrow this. And she grabs the power pack off of his back, rips it off, and throws it. And it cuts off the cat's path of escape, and then she dives forward and grabs it. And brings the whole thing mercifully to an end. And, uh... Gives the cat to Frankie. Frankie is able to return the cat to Casey, who has a boyfriend already. Oh no! Well, you can't. Oh, apparently, your your dreams of impressing this girl by returning her cat. Oh, she already has a boyfriend. Oh well, Nick. Uh, she's actually not valuable as a character now anymore. See, Frankie saw inherent worth to her when she was a potential love interest, and thus relevant to our interests here as a whole, who want to see Frankie have a, a lush character life. Uh, but now that we find out she's already currently engaged with somebody, uh, what is her name? Christy? Something like that? See. Casey. She's irrelevant now. She will never show up again because her worth has been determined as invalid to this story, inconsequential, because, uh, boom, can't, can't get with her now. She's yeah. not open for you to romantically pursue Frankie. Yeah. Just uh, so uh, Frankie, just go off and gradually become an incel because uh, you can't uh, end up with that girl. Yes. Anyway, we catch up with Yor after this. We leave Frankie's pathetic life behind. Yor has gone back to work and she, she feels good about what she's done because she did a good deed and she has the right attitude about this. Mm -hmm. She helped someone and she is happy that she helped someone. Good for her. Yeah. Her coworkers are like, oh, you you seem to be in high spirits. Did your husband buy you something nice? And she's like, no, I did something good. And they're like, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of her coworkers observes, like, maybe she's happy because she started to act a little bit normal. And she's like, oh, I am. Oh, yay. <laughs> oh, 
So, uh, but at that moment, uh, this uh, older man comes in and is like, oh, uh, Miss Briar, uh, Mrs. Forger, you have a phone call from your special contact. And your goes and answers the phone and gets really serious and says, it's me. And the person on the phone says, good day to you. I have a new client for you, Thorn Princess. Now, the reason why this is important is because at the very, very beginning of the chapter before all the Frankie stupid bullshit started, he was talking to Lloyd about uh, the Association Garden, an assassin group that's been operating in the country and uh, is a very, very shadowy. They get orders from the shadow government in order to take people out. Garden and Thorn Princess obviously seems like there is a connection. If Lloyd is potentially going to have a run-in with this group, then you are potentially become involved in one of his missions with them potentially being on opposite sides of it. So that is the important thing to take from this chapter. That, that said, this chapter was stupid. So. <laughs> uh, I don't have quite as harsh of an opinion on it. It's, you know, I'm kind of excited to get moving into uh, something more concrete if we're going to do a storyline. Um, and it's just, I guess, nice seeing your do something that's not uh, failed to be a good cook. And that's her plot line. Per mm-hmm. the past, like, you know, 15 chapters, it feels like, or like, whatever. I just will note when I first read it, and it was like, yes, the new assassin group garden, I was like, that is a very dumb name for an assassin group. That, that, like, they better all have fucking stupid, awful gimmicks to help salvage the fact. And I guess if Thorn Princess is one of them, I guess it somewhat salvages it. But I want the rest of the names to be even dumber. Like, I am the Petal Prince. <laughs> Let me just consult Aki Izayoi's, uh Duel Monsters deck, and I'll give you some ideas uh, here. So hang on a sec. Uh, Izayoi Aki. She ran, ho- I- uh, she ran a field spell called Black Garden. Ooh, uh, is it so. going to be better than the uh, Stomp Fetish Pokemon? Which is also a plant. You probably told me about that, and I probably just blocked it out. Yeah, there's so. like there's like a plant Pokemon that's like three stages. It's like starts off like a little 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 thing, like a little little ball, and then it evolves into something, and then its last form is a stomping fetish. You literally need to evolve it with, uh, by having it learn stomp, and then it has big long legs. It's one of those Pokemon's you could fuck, Nick. <laughs> okay, is it uh, is it called Dimitrescu? Is that the Pokemon's name? Is it... Uh, it should be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if it could be Vampire Mommy too. Oh, that'd be yeah. the best. Good God. All right. So, uh, anyway, yeah, uh, I am actually kind of excited about the idea of your, you know, getting to do additional stuff. And honestly, her involvement in this chapter was nice because it had, you know, nothing to do with a lot of her usual shticks. So, yeah. All right. all right, Nick, let's get away from all that stuff. Let's talk about Eden Zero. Uh, We're going to be talking about chapter 135, Desert Oasis. Now, Nick, I know what you might be saying to yourself. Desert Oasis. I'm just going to fill in all the blanks. You can just do it. Nick, I know what you're saying. Desert Oasis. But we haven't even... What what desert? The characters are nowhere near a desert. Well, we open this chapter on the planet of Sandra. And that's exactly how I'm going to say it. Because I know it's just supposed to be like Forresta, Sanda, Sandra, or something like that, but it's a fucking person's name in our language, so I'm gonna say it. So they go to the planet of Sandra, and uh, it's the desert planet, and... Because it's covered in sand. Yeah. Sandra. 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 Yeah, Sandra. So we're over in Sandra, uh, (laughs) and everyone's there. And you might be thinking to yourself, why are all these characters in Sandra? Why are they here? Um, 
Well, we, for some reason, Nick, have decided to start in media res uh, with the characters already in the quote unquote action of Sandra. I'm not entirely certain why, uh, but they're here. We see a couple interactions. Pino has like a little interaction with a cute little uh, what I thought was a robot person, but I think later no, it is a robot person. She just meets a cat it person is. later. It's got robot claws. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we see a, a few little interactions, uh, and then it's like, oh hey, look, it's a it's a camel fish or something like that. And uh, then you're you're just like, why are we here? And then we get the flashback to ten hours earlier, where we find out why our characters are here. Because last time we ended a chapter, they were in the middle of a philosophical discussion about whether or not they were going to allow robot genocide to happen. So we. Okay. Can I just say? Go ahead. Everyone always talks about you know One Piece when the black uh, framed panels come in and get ready to cry. Black fl- black framed panels for a flashback is a way better decision than graying out the contents of the panels. It's so much more difficult to tell what's going on in all of these shots. I can't even imagine what this must look like for scanlations, because that already inherently darkens like stuff as well. So you just be looking at like black panels with des- like fucking dialogue. Anyway, everyone's like, all right, well, I should say Shiki is like, we have to stop. Sure. We have to stop this stuff from happening. And they're like, all right, well, we'll just have to go find him. Let's, uh, oh, he's at the temple. Let's go, let's go, go over there. And Laguna steps in and is like, okay, you're all idiots. So you can't just do that because there's like 60 million or 60,000 ships and they will just blow you up. And then there's like 100,000 ships beyond that. So it's just not feasible, basically. Uh, Cheeky's like, doesn't matter. We have to save the robots. And like Laguna really hammers in, like, look. It doesn't work like like I know that you have this dream, but it does not work like that. There are too many numbers. But if you're all interested are in any this, of their friends, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> if you're still interested in this, I know somebody who we might be able to get help from, but we can't call him. We'll have to visit him in person on Sandra, <laughs> the planet of sand. Um, and normally I don't complain about this sort of thing, but I do want to note that this is uh, a particularly uninspired setting. This really is just like I wanted a sand arc, essentially. I've been um, watching The Mandalorian and yeah. a lot of <laughs> desert planets. Well, like, look, so Forrest uh, was not a particularly interesting thing, but at least it had that gimmick of, like, fish swim through the forest like it's basically a giant ocean. There's nothing about Sandra to really establish anything outside from there are fish camels. Mm-hmm. And they also explained that the planet is, like, 70% sand anyway. So what does it really matter? I don't know. Uh, eventually the heroes find some, like, hidden alleyway, and Laguna's like, look, I'm gonna be the one kind of guiding us on, so they do the whole, like, you know, passcode thing to get inside, and, uh, we're introduced to, um, I don't know what he is, he has a pompadour, his name is Ibaraki, Ibaraki, uh, and he has, like, a machine gun, or assault rifle, and, uh, he comes in. does not hold in any way that makes sense. No. Not at all. Uh, it's got a shoulder brace, and he holds it away from his shoulder. So yeah. <laughs> uh, so Laguna comes in. They're like, "Ah, oh, Laguna, I'm surprised. If and so, I'm surprised you came back." Cause he's got like an accent, you know. Oh, if you're not surprised, I'm surprised you came back. Now I'm going to kill you, you dirty rotten coward! And everyone pulls out their their guns, and uh, looks like it's a big standoff. And 
people like, wait, Laguna, I thought you said these guys were your friends. And he's like, yeah, my old ones. And Shiki has a great line where he says, then they're my friends too. And he just extends his arms. And I was like, all right, that's a pretty decent moment where he's just like, it's a transitive property of friendship. You're his friend. I'm his friend. Thus, you are my friends as well. Uh, and they're just like, no, uh, we're not. We have issue with your old buddy. The boss told us to shoot you on sight. And before they can, Shiki activates his uh, his gra- ether gravity field and knocks all their guns to the ground. And he's just like, yeah, there's going to be no shooting here today. We don't need guns to talk. And uh, it's kind of a cool moment. And everyone's just like, yeah, he's gotten stronger. Suddenly, like the doors and the floor open up and someone rises up for the back and it is like, yeah, word organization free- formed to free the Aoi cosmos from Poseidon Nero's tyranny. You might call us a rebel army. Stationed on the sand planet of Sandra, you could call ourselves an oasis, you could say, to try to get us away from the ocean of Poseidon. Anyway, I'm a big cat man. My name's Goodwood. We're going to kill Nero. <laughs> And uh, it's pretty much the chapter. I actually like Goodwin's design. Yeah. Giant cat man. He's fucking humongous. He's just a gigantic cat man. Yeah. I actually, for the most... I don't have to say about this chapter. I don't really have much to say about it. I actually kind of like this chapter for a couple of the small moments. We get, like, little bits and pieces of character development here and there. I like Shiki taking down all the guns and being like, look, we don't have to have guns to have a talk or something like that. It just kind of makes him have like a cool hero moment. And I like that we're getting some more insight into Laguna. I'm slowly getting more and more curious as to what his character's all about. And it looks like he's going to be taking some measure of like a central role in this upcoming arc. So I think the design of the world and setting we're on right now is super uninspired. And I don't understand why we started in media res as opposed to just continuing the conversation from last time and then going from there. But otherwise I thought there were some small moments in this chapter that were decent. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say it was bad at least. It was just kind of mostly like, all right, we're here now. Yeah. For me. That, that's pretty so. much it. And Sandra's fucking great though. I'm going to have Sandra. a lot of Sandra, <laughs> Sandra. Let's head over to the Elusive Samurai Chapter 9, Ogasawara 1333. Tokiyuki is engaging with Ogasawara Sadamune in an archery contest where they are going after dogs, and Tokiyuki basically has to win or else Sadamune will be allowed to uh, hunt for any members of Tokiyuki's family and kill them. So, uh, we do see that uh, when uh, he was getting uh, some advice from Yorishige that he actually got some very sound and relevant advice, uh, which starts off with, yeah, fire your first arrow at Sadamune so that, you know, he'll focus on you because he'll get pissed off at you. You don't need to hit him. Just do that. And then because your evasion uh, is maxed out, just dodge his arrows and he'll waste his arrows. And... That and then uh, Yoroshige says, This will allow you to exploit the only weakness in his archery skills. He uses his whole body to focus for each shot and hates to shoot in swift succession. That creates a pause between arrows during which you can shoot the dogs and score points. 
we then get a little bit of insight that uh, Yoshige specifically trained one dog so that it would be really easy to hit. So Tokiki's like, that seems cruel. But meanwhile, the dog is running alongside him, getting frustrated that Tokiki's not hitting him. And he's like, if I get hit, then I get to have some meat. Come on, fucking hit me. <laughs> so, oh, well. He manages to get a glancing blow on this dog and get one point. Hooray. Uh, so Tokiki's pulled ahead. Uh, but Yoroshige has got all of his... Uh, not Yoroshige. Sadamoe has got all of his arrows aside from his first shot. He starts shooting at Tokiyuki. Uh, but uh, Tokiyuki dodges around stuff. And we get some comparisons to how fast these arrows are coming in. One's like a screaming fastball. One's like a bullet train, which... Seems like it would be very, very, very difficult to dodge. So good job. Uh, but then narration says arrows were slower than they are today. So make up your mind, manga. <laughs> so after Tokiyuki dodges a whole bunch, Sanamu is down to one arrow. And because he's been focusing on Tokiyuki, he doesn't have any shots left. Uh, he hasn't gotten any points, rather. So at this point, you know, Yoroshige's instructions go to Sanamoni is going to begin to think that he's going to lose. And he may switch to targeting the dogs. But the dogs ready for this day are the fastest Sua Grand Shrine has to offer. Even Sadamune will not find them easy to fit, hit. And that is your chance to lose one of your remaining arrows at him. In his haste, hesitation, and fear, he will lose his composure and find it difficult to shoot at the dogs. And uh, we see a lot of cool visuals, you know, that carry this point where, you know, like, you know, uh, Sadamune is kind of starting to panic. He's he's kind of starting to shatter uh, from this. Tokiki's got two arrows left to Sadamune's one. He takes aim with one arrow, but then Sadamune gets a very serious look on his face and he starts to maneuver his horse so that he is in Tokiyuki's blind spot pursuing after him. So they're like, oh, Tokiyuki can't just twist around and shoot at him. He, he can't position himself while he's riding like this. So, yeah, in addition to just being skilled with the bow, Sonomuni's got really good horsemanship. He's got the superior horse riding techniques. So anyway, they get a very the basically uh, Tokiyuki's retainers get this explanation like sports announcer style from Moritaka, the uh who one of the shrine uh, guys that we've seen before. And uh, they're like, huh? He's like a commentator. Yes. 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 So, yes. Tokiyuki tries to shake Satamune, uh, but Satamune is just better than him in horse riding. Uh, we get like, you know, just all this stuff talking about how great he is. This guy is as good at archery as code is at everything else. You guys. So, <laughs> Uh, and uh, we we even get indicated like yeah he ended up founding a school of warriors that still flourishes to this day in the 21st century which may be true uh, this is dealing with an era of history that I know very little about so it is possible that this is actually accurate but I don't know so um, uh, Tokiyuki gradually loses control of his horse. And Sadamune takes advantage of that. And we get this big full page spread shot of him loosing his final arrow like it's a finisher in a video game with text going down across the panel and stuff. All seeing demon Ogasawara Sadamune and his blunt arrow strikes Tokyuki in the back of the head. 
And uh, that gives Sadamune a good five points, which puts him ahead of Tokiyuki, who's got two arrows left. So they're like, how can, uh, can, can, can he make up the four-point gap? And uh, now Ogasawara is v- feeling very confident because not only has Tokiyuki not been shooting very well to this point, but now he's basically dealing with a concussion because he's just gotten hit really hard in the back of the head. Uh, and he says that he's going to stay in Tokiyuki's blind spot. So he's, And he says, when you aim for the dogs, I'm going to ram my mount into yours. Because fuck you, kid. <laughs> <laughs> so Tokiyuki starts to kind of panic a bit. And he's like, oh my god, I'm bleeding. And this hurts. And I'm no match for him. I'm scared. If that had been a real arrow, I'd be dead. And... Sadamune is pursuing after Tokiyuki as Tokiyuki starts to go into a gallop. And he's like, oh, are you running in desperation? But of course, Tokiyuki is evading. He's running away. And he's having fun. And that's where our chapter ends. I think it was a good chapter. It's it's exciting as this conflict develops. I mean, the art's as awesome as it can be. Um, and it's like a cool, suspenseful moment of like, what does he do now? Because basically mm-hmm. his only chance of winning is to hit this guy. I don't think he could shoot enough dogs and two arrows to get make back the points if they're only worth pawn. So we'd have to nail him. I believe that they established in the last chapter, it depends on where you hit the target. Okay. So if, you, so if he hits the dog in the head, he'll get the five points. Um, but as they've established, you know, the dogs are very fast and even Sadamuni would have trouble focusing on them. And yeah, if he tries to, then Sadamuni is going to, you know, ram him. So I think that it's going to become crucial that Tokyuki's got uh, two arrows left. Uh, maybe he'll do use, use one as some sort of a distraction to set up the other or something like that. But I am very interested to see uh, what he's going to do. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited. Cool action pack chapter. Indeed. Now let's talk about the best series of the week, Nick. Best series. <laughs> Can I note? There was a real moment when I tell C was in the jumpstart section that I was like, shit, I really, I feel like there is a chance this could go down the absolute slope. And I was like, I don't want to use my veto in the bank on the second week, basically, of having it. And I'm so glad we didn't have to, because this series is absolutely the kind of train wreck I want to follow. (laughs) It's, uh, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to fix Skype right now because it won't give me the mini window anymore, which is annoying me. Mm. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. No. Oh, well. So, last time on I Tell C, Ms. Ioe's kindness towards the killer guy paid off because he came to save them from Hikaru. Hooray! And now he attacks Hikaru and cuts into his back with his saw, which apparently doesn't slash very deeply. Start of the chapter, chapter 8, Grasp, uh, with Nobuto there. He always come to rescue Ms. Ioe. Hikaru says, seems things got a little more entertaining. What a shame, too, because the odds just aren't in my favor right now. Anyway, the guy with the saw just dug into my back, but I'm very fast anyway. Everyone just hold still for a second so I can get a head start on you. That's basically what happens. (laughs) Nobuto immediately goes after him. 
So Khan is trying to tend to Ukon while Mizawi chases after them as well. And Ukon's like, go, don't worry about me. Go after him. Uh, uh, Hikaru comes to, to a cliff and he's like, well, it's the cliff that, you know, all the bodies of the people that Nobuto killed have been ducked off of. And so Hikaru says, since Risa is already such a compelling character, I may as well work on Sakon's development instead. I'll script out a bunch of cases for it. Oh, right. The guy who's after me is here. And Noah took, comes out of the bushes and grabs him. Uh, Ms. Iowa comes across the scene of Nobuto strangling Hikaru and kind of leaning him backwards slightly over the cliff. And Hikaru says, don't pl- tell me your plan on dropping me. If I fall from here, there's a nine in ten chance I'll die. Have mercy. Let go. And then he grabs Nobuto around a tie and instead sends them both tumbling backwards over the cliff as he throws himself back and goes, clumsy me, FL. <laughs> he has such a stupid gimmick where he's like, but I won't because I'm an important character in this story and you're not. Yeah, so he says that he's got a character shield, basically. Like, he, uh-huh. he pretty much says that. He's like, I have plot armor. You can't kill me. I'll die. I'll, I'll definitely survive this. Um, He tries to pull them backward. Nobuto manages to grab the edge of the cliff while, no- while Hikaru is holding on around his tie. Uh, as his hand slips off, Ms. Aoi rushes in and grabs him by the hand. Oh, she took his hand again. Oh, symbolism. Uh, and she says that she's not going to let him die. And then she realizes that she is trying to hold up two fully grown men and she weighs approximately 70 pounds. And so she starts to slip off the edge. But Sakon comes up behind her and grabs her ankles. And so the it's, you know, it's like the end of, you know, the movies where like we form a human chain or to hold everyone that's happening right now. So Khan's holding on to Mizaoi, who's holding on to Nobuto, who has his tie clung to by Hikaru. And they're all dangling over the edge of the cliff. Uh, and uh, so Nobuto says, let go of my hand. You'll fall too. But Mizaoi was like, no, you'll die. Uh, but Nobuto says, I am a bad guy. <laughs> Beyond redemption. I don't have enough lives to atone for what I've done, so I want you to take the one I do have and use it to beat the bad guy. That is what I want. And Mizao is like, okay, in the name of love. And she lets Nobuto drop, or I guess slip through her fingers, basically. In the movie adaptation of this, this is where they would start playing Billie Eilish's bad guy. Like, I the want the bad guy. As he starts falling. <laughs> You're playing all the trailers. Yay. <laughs> okay. So that happens. Ms. Zioe is upset. Now Sakon calls 119. Mm-hmm. No, Ms. Zioli Sakon, you're a cop. Come on, dude. He's, he's grief-stricken. Uh, Nick, as we're going to come to understand, Sakon is having a lot of difficulties processing his brother's death in ways where he, do- he doesn't make the rational decisions, and sometimes he just moves into wildly different uh, mood whiplashes, essentially. So, th- she's trying to call for an ambulance, but they can't connect because they're in the mountains, I guess. So... 
That happens. They go over to Ukon, who's slumped up against a tree, and uh, I don't know. Insert your own death speech. Uh, so, <laughs> his death Nick, speech. Now how dare, going. how dare you take the gravitas away from this moment before the series will do so in about two pages? Look. I, 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 why bother building it up? Like in, in two pages, like Sakan basically forgets his his brother's dead. Like just... so, they're like Ukon, we'll get you down the mountain and patched up in no time. And Ukon's like, I mean, if you had stayed with me and you know done first aid, maybe you could have saved my life. But okay, sure. Now you're now you're worried about it. It's too late now. Uh, Mizawi blames herself because she says it's all her fault. But Ukon says, if Nozo hadn't come, we would he he would have killed us all. The power of your love saved you. And Sakon as well. I should have picked up on that power sooner. I'm sorry. And don't cry, Sakon. Nobody likes a crybaby. You decided to trust Aoi and accept her in your life. And that wasn't the wrong choice after all. You really are just like Dad. You should take Aoi's hand. You can still be a cool, unyielding hero. No, he can't. Who protects what he wants. So be one. I was too late. Too late to be a hero like those I admired. To be a hero like Dad. And so Khan's like, no. You're a darn fine hero, bro. Who did he save in this manga? Who? Name one person. I wanted in his last moments for Ukon to become another Doraemon reference. <laughs> he just goes, wah, 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 wah. And it just falls over. <laughs> so Ukon says, you don't say. I'm sorry. Karina no. Prime with the line, you were the true ITLC. <laughs> the real ITLC was the friends who died for us along the way. <laughs> Wasn't it your brother? I don't remember. <laughs> Ukon dies with a smile on his face. And there's a sad scene where they're looking over his body while I slumped against the tree. Time came to close the book on our case. Those falling leaves. Those hands losing warmth. Those better days. What better days? The days before losing warmth is better days. <laughs> yeah, those good old days before I ran into that serial killer in the hotel. <laughs> a man oh. died. A man died in that hotel. By the way, I don't know if they address it, but the caretaker was also murdered as well. <laughs> uh, all of it never to return. For time marched on. People are upset about the way things played out because, uh, and they specifically say, who cares about the Ohira case? It's ancient history. A member of the force is dead. Yeah, but they, <laughs> more deaths happened related to that. So they're upset that, you know, because they brought in Mizawa to be a tool for them, that oh, they we knew this would happen, that she would drag us down one day. We can't tolerate her any longer. The main issue is that Kagemino's corpse was nowhere to be found. Wow, this is my surprised face. So, Nick, wait, do you think he might be so special he's able to survive dangerous situations almost as though in a meta contextual way he realizes he's a part of the story and thus only survives because it's convenient for the narrative for him to survive? 
Yeah, that sounds about right, yes. It's almost as though characters who have that ability to act like they're part of a story are really lazy crutches for a writer to rely upon in terms of, like, not actually being compelling because they are also aware that they are a part of a story and that's not actually a very interesting character personality. <sighs> Come on. So, let's get to it. Get to the the guy says... We've turned a blind eye to Ioe and your action order to arrest him, but not this time. As Ioe's parent, just how do you intend to take responsibility for this? They're talking to the chief, by the way. Ooh. So we cut to outside this meeting room where Sakon and Ioe are awkwardly sitting on a couch together. And I always like, yeah, they're, they're discussing what to do with us. I might get arrested for my crimes thus far. And Sakon says that'd be that'd be spinning it to fit their narrative. Yeah, look at the the amount of spinning that they have to do in order for that to stick. I mean, it, there will be a lot of spin work required for them to be like, yes, this woman, this police officer has been stalking and harassing people for. Uh, presumably based off the number of culprits she's found years, just years upon years. And they're like, oh my goodness. And she did it all without your knowledge. Well, no. Um, in fact, we endorsed it. But you have to understand, she was just a tool to us. <laughs> we didn't care about her. Like, That's yeah. not what I'm concerned about. We never invited her. I want to make this clear. Uh, put all the mics here. Uh, we never invited her to a single Christmas party. There was one time where we started up a fantasy football league. We didn't even invite her. Not even not even considered it for a moment. And we invited people who like weren't even a part of the police force. Like that's how much we didn't care about her and used her as a tool. So uh, I believe oh, that well, actually in full disclosure, the reason we didn't invite her is because she's a girl. It has nothing to do with mm -hmm. her being a serial. We, we want to make this very clear. We don't acknowledge her uh, as a person or as a woman. Uh, those are the two factors <laughs> that keep her from being a, resp a respectable member of our police force. I thought you were going to say a respectable member of our fantasy football league. <laughs> that would be great. They forget what press conference they're at. I'm going to make it very clear. We don't have chicks in this fantasy football league. It's supposed to be cool and fun, so obviously they wouldn't be allowed. Just... <laughs> the entire press conference term is like, wait a minute, you just don't allow women in your fantasy football leagues? No, so everyone forgets about this murder. <laughs> yeah, at the end of it, they're just like, look, they agreed next year they're going to invite the secretaries in. It's all okay. And like some guys leave, he's like, wait, weren't we here about something else? <laughs> like, no, nah, I've got a, pay I've got a story to write. Oh, boy. So, so Colin starts to wonder, who did you mean when you said him that day meaning that Ikaru stole everything from him and she couldn't forgive him for that so Mizaiwi says he's someone very kind who has a heart as docile as the moonlight he is my special someone kidnapping me was all Hikaru's plan and in order to get my special someone back Hikaru's presence is necessary so he kidnapped you under Kagamino's orders. That means this man of yours is a victim himself. I mean, that, that does happen sometimes. You know, someone is forced to commit crimes because they're under threat by mm -hmm. the actual mastermind. Yes. So I always upset because she's positive that Hikaru is going to ruin yet another person's life, knowing that he's probably still out there. 
And Sakan, fresh off burying his brother, having long ago had to bury his father, goes, Oh, he carries a dirt bag! <laughs> but and, uh, he has the most important line of all. <laughs> Look what you've done to my poor brother, you stupid, stupid, stupid idiot! It's brother who is just died. He's like, oh, look what you did to my brother. You big, dumb, jerk, dumb face. <laughs> it's, he's, it's like your brother just died. And you are having this wacky comedy moment. You're like, that big doo-doo head jerk face. I'm going to get him. Sakan says that he's been completely ineffective thus far and doesn't deserve to be called a hero. Your words, not mine. But that won't do. In order to ensure that no more lives are lost, I need to use any means necessary. So he uh, dedicates himself to forming a police state and uh, says that people don't, police don't need to wear body cams. And uh, anyway, so starts planting evidence everywhere. So, so he turns to Mizaiwi and says, let's arrest Kagamino together. Starting tomorrow, I'll be cool. I'll never yield, and I won't cry. That's the hero I'll be. As of tomorrow, I'll be what Ukon wanted me to be. <laughs> I'll be a cool hero. <laughs> and Mizaiwi's like, okay, and I won't let Hikaru do as he pleases any longer. The next time we shed tears, it'll be after we close the book on this story. And they do like the world's most awkward fist bump because they're she's she's never seen a fist bump happen before. So she was just going off of instinct. Yeah, (laughs) she comes in from the side. She's like, is this not how you do it? And he's just like, I can't. Are we we going to do a pink? Are we we doing a pinky promise? (laughs) Yeah. What's going on here? Okay. Uh, I would love it. They're like, we're never going to shed tears again. They're like, all right. Now that that's done, do you want to watch up? <laughs> like they just immediately start doing like the saddest shit. With the Coco, you know. And, uh... You want to watch the Eddie Guerrero memorial tribute? Like <laughs> the Dusty Rose one for me. But, oh, uh, no. yeah. everyone has their own. You know, everyone has their own. The chief comes in, yes. and they say, "That's your love, is it, son?" And they say, brotherly love, it can bring a tear to your eye. Having a younger brother myself, I know how you feel all too well. Sorry, though, Risa needs to take responsibility for her actions. She's gone a tad overboard, you see. And they go, chief! And the chief takes out a pistol and says, Risa, I'm afraid... You'll need to die. Dun, 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 dun. Probably not actually going to kill her. No. I feel like a lot of what's been said in regards to this character has been in a figurative sense. When they refer to him as Aoi's parent, I assume he's the one who proposed the idea of like, hey, I, I, 
again, I like this guy to be the wacky police chief who is just like, Yandere, detective! That sounds hysterical! (laughs) (laughs) Approved stamp! And now they're like, now you have to kill him. He's like, I guess I'll kill this idea for the secret spinoff where the two of you act like you're realtors, but actually you solve crimes together. Your partner is a wacky dog. And your informants are all uh, character actors. Also, you go to space in the second season. Like, really? (laughs) Seems early to go to space. (laughs) Uh, Remember, like, two weeks ago when we were hating on how lame Ukon was? (laughs) Well, apparently it seems that in order to carry on his dead brother's legacy, Sakon picked up that baton and started running with it. Uh This dude sucks. (laughs) He's so bad. (sighs) I... (laughs) I don't know if I've laughed harder than the first time I read the chapter and Ukon has just been killed and Seikon's like, Ooh, I hate that nasty rascal. I, what a big dumb, dumb head. Ah, and I'm just like, I cannot comprehend the mood whiplash of my brother's dead. And then I'm going to throw a whiny, jokey hissy fit over how much I hate the dumb, dumb jerk face who killed my brother. It's, it's so fucking weird. It's four pages after you see him (laughs) over his brother's corpse. (laughs) Good Lord. The only way that it could be better is if he became a Doraemon reference while he did it. Like, (laughs) all right. Great chapter. 10 out of 10. (laughs) Maguchan, God of Destruction. Chapter 36, The Melancholy of Zonzege. Zonzege wants to be Magu's friend. It's not working out so well because he's super awkward. There is kind of a funny exchange at the beginning where Zonzege tries desperately to, you know, interact with Magu. So he's like, nice weather today, right? And Magu, like, leans back and looks out the window. No, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Not per se. Which is weird, because it looks fantastic out, actually. Like, it looks pretty sunny out. (laughs) Uh, So, after that, um, you know, when they break for the day, Zanzage is, you know, talking to Yuika, and it's like, I failed, I want to make... Yuika's way of, like, you know what would be funny? What if you pulled a prank on him? He's like, no! Oh. I guess you could try playing something together. I've got something you could use. So she goes digging into her toy chest, which she brought there, I guess, just because. And she says, Kyo and I used to play this all the time when we were little. And the next day, Zunzuge has a different kind of icebreaker that you can try in order to, to uh, get along with Magu with, which is Mad Dog Chomp Chomp. It's essentially like don't wake daddy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you you have to do stuff without triggering the electronics of the toy and getting it and having it bark at you. So you steal its food from the bowl in front of the dog. And I do like how Magu is completely unimpressed with it at first because he's like, why would humans fear such a thing? It is a silly toy for fragile, lowly humans. And he just goes over, canines are not to be afraid of. They are to be tamed and used as servants. And he just like, cuddling it basically so um but he's still interested in playing it even though he isn't scared of it at all so 
they decide to start playing the game. And uh, Zanzigan's like, oh, God, we're playing together. We can be friends now. And so Maga's like, all right, so I must pillage its provisions. Grant me offerings. And he tries to steal from the bowl. It immediately lunges forward and barks at, in Magu's face. And Zonzage's panics and one of his spikes goes into Magu's head. And Magu launches a mini I-beam. It's just enough to, to deal with the threat at hand. And blows the head off the toy. So immediately, Zonzage is like, oh no! Ms. Jose's treasure possession is broken! And Magu's like, no need to be flustered! We can fix it! It'll be easy! It was not easy. They use paper mache and colored markers, and they kind of make a dog's head and stick it on top of the burning husk of the thing. They do better than you'd expect. Better than I would do, definitely. Uh, Zonzage is like, oh no, I couldn't help. I should just kill myself. They'll never make it. <laughs> Good lord. So, Zonzage senses their savior, Uneris. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, Uneris is there. She uses her providence. Also, they make, a, they make a remark that she's bigger, like, on her the lower half of her body. And she says, I'm storing nutrients, which, okay, whatever. So, she uses her magic and creates, like, a hellhound dog thing. And, oh, God, I forgot how dumb this immediately gets. So there is a fetish associated with what happens, uh, I will say. They start gradually turning into dogs as they play the game. Oh, right, that one. Okay, sorry. I got I got mixed up as to where the fetish started, and I was like, also dressing, dress, I was going to say dressing up like Goku for a, a Dragon Ball reference. <laughs> Does that happen? Yeah, Anaris dresses up like Goku for a Dragon I've Ball reference. I've been training my magic powers. Yeah, 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 I guess so. Uh... As they take stuff from the uh, dog's bowl, there is like one that will reverse the curse. But as they're taking stuff from it, it gradually curses them to act and look more and more like a dog. So Zanzage is cursed to walk in all fours, which means that he has to, you know, grow four spikes and walk around on those. Uh, Magu's speech has a lot of dog puns in it because he has to talk like a dog now. Um, and uh, he's getting really angry at the thing as he keeps on getting stuff that makes him act and look more and more like a dog. So, uh, Zonzage imagines, what if Magamanuaku completely transforms into a dog, and he gets a visual in his head that honestly looks kind of fucking adorable. Like, I don't think that that would be such a bad thing. But uh, Zonzage is really upset, So, she, but uh, he remembers uh, something that Nuer said, which was that she used her magic to turn it into a pseudo-living thing, and so Zonzage realizes that maybe his powers will work on it. So he lunges into the dog, uses his barbs of despair and uh, makes it all, you know, sad and, and too scared to act. So Maga can just raid the thing's bowl. And of course, he eventually pulls out the thing that reverses the curse. And so they win and then and they're fine now. And uh, the only thing that Maga has to say with this is like, what you did to break Unars' curse was very impressive. You are worthy of praise, Unisuke. So yay, Zonzage got praised by Magu. Hooray. Um, then Zonzage is upset because Yuika has, sees that the dog, you know, is, you know, all scary now. But Yuika's like, it looks so cool. And so she's not scared of it at all. Uh, and then we learned that the spell lifts later. So, mm-hmm. yep, that was a chapter. So. 
So this was, uh, I thought this was a pretty decent chapter. There's some good funny bits. There's some uh, really, you know, nice little character development between Zonge, Zonzege and uh, Magu. And then Anara shows up and the chapter gets significantly worse. And then it ends. <laughs> She's like uh, the Kramer, except every time. Well, I guess that's how Kramer did work on Seinfeld. He generally made situations for it worse by showing up. So I guess she really is yeah. just the Kramer of the suit. She basically opens up the window and she's like, hi, it looks like she's like that annoying Cliffy. She's like, I, I, it looks like you're having a moderately enjoyable chapter in Mago Chen. Would you like me to ruin it with my bad jokes and my stupid plot developments? <laughs> yeah. It's mostly just the bad jokes. Like, ah. Oh, well. Nick, Nine Dragons good Ball. series. Good series. Good, good series. series. Nine Dragons Ball Parade. Chapter six, Hawk and Dragon. Hawk. Last time. Tsurugi was facing off against the battery of Azukita and Ryudo, who were going to let him play and enjoy baseball one last time. The count is now 0-2 because he nearly smashed a home run, uh, but uh, the ball went foul. So now everyone's super serious about this. Uh, Azu and Ryudo uh, take a little bit of a break to uh, you know discuss their plan. And so they're like, oh, man, this guy's so skilled. And Ryo's like, yeah, we need to beat him in order to beat, you know, a team like Hakuok. Uh, so he asks Azu, do you have a plan? And Azu says, I've got one idea. They go back to the he goes back to the plate and then he uh, signals to Ryudo who shakes off the pitch. And Karin is watching this go on. He's like, why is right Ryudo shake this sign off? And Azu thinks Ryudo only has one pitch. He can only do fastballs. But since he shook off the sign, Tsurugi's going to wonder what other pitch Ryudo might throw. And then he'll be uncertain, and that should hinder his swing. And, you know, we'll just, you know, use these little tricks to try and gain an advantage. So Tsurugi start feeling doubt. And Tsurugi's like, he has no other pitches. <laughs> it is such a great... <laughs> no, he has nothing else. <laughs> he blows. Uh, and he just says... He hasn't been looking for a sign the entire time, so it's strange that he would start looking for a sign now. So he's just going to throw a fastball. So like, well, I guess we're no match for this guy. Our dream's just a fantasy. And not well, that's what I was just thinking. He starts to get upset. But Ryudo, of course, is like, ah, you got us. Yeah, I guess we can't use sneaky tricks on this guy. He's too good. But he says, Mr. Surugi, I'm a lucky guy. Playing with an amazing athlete like you helps me get stronger too and it becomes nine dragon ball parade <laughs> there's power auras and it's awesome <laughs> so he's glowing with a fighting spirit as he gets ready for his next pitch and he just thinks to himself if we can't realize our dream at our current skill level we'll just have to get crazy and surpass ourselves and he launches his pitch uh, and he kind of fires almost a knuckleball with the the way he launches the pitch is high up on his fingers. And Azu realizes, oh, no, you know, Rito's best pitch is the high riser and this is a low pitch. But then Sukita uh, sees the pitch coming towards him. He's like, oh, come on, is this all you've got? But then the pitch takes an absurd rise upward. And Azu realizes that Rito by throwing the the pitch off of his fingers differently, he put more spin on it. So this low pitch has even more rise now. It's like a rising dragon. 
It's like when, you know, they eventually did dragon stuff in Dragon Ball, you know, like 20 years into that franchise existence. <laughs> so the pitch takes on the form of a dragon bearing down on, on Tsurugi. But Tsurugi was unfazed. He stared down his prey, waiting for the right moment to pierce its windpipe with his talons. However, that pitch was too ferocious to be prey. This series is about baseball, Chris. <laughs> there's a dragon going towards that guy, and there's a bird behind him. <laughs> um, but the pitch is rising, and, and Azu realizes that the pitch is just going to go right over Surugi's bat. But because Surugi is so good, he just changes his bat's trajectory and forces it upwards to strike the pitch, and it launches up into the air. And Azu was again dismayed. He's like, we can't beat a player this good. We're not good enough to realize our dream. But Ryudo, on the other hand, says, that was great. There's nothing to worry about, Azu. He just hit a fly ball straight to the right fielder. We see, like, the spirit of a right fielder holding his glove up right where the ball falls to the field. And Ryudo's like, we win. That's the great thing about baseball. Even if the pitcher is weak, getting the batter out isn't up to us alone. I've got eight teammates to depend on. And, of course, Rito, who's been imagining playing on a field with people this whole time, sees them all clearly in this moment. So that's nice. But then he's like, yeah, we still need to fight the teammates. So, yeah. Tsurugi admits that, yes, he bit the ball exactly where it would have been caught and for an out, so he loses. And his hands are shaking from the amount of uh, sting that he feels from the blast pitch that he hit. And not only now, Azu realizes how great the pitch was. Uh, so he's like, maybe we can do it. Maybe we can revive the nine dragons. And Tsurugi says, you're going to build a strong team. Uh, I believe Koshin is more than just a dream for you guys. Uh, but he's still really excited. And he says, hey, if you're willing, I want another go. And Ryo's like, yeah, sure thing. Cut to later. Yeah. And uh, thing they've tired themselves out. Uh, I don't know what shagging balls means. Kareem's been doing it, though. I'm sure it has something to do with, like, cleaning balls or grabbing the balls for them, though. So. That's how long they've been playing. They ran out of baseball. I don't know. I don't care about baseball, so I don't want to learn all the terms. I'm only going to do it when, okay. it's, when, it's, when it's structurally relevant to the series. Cool. So, uh, Tsurugi's, uh, still, while, while the three of them are exhausted on the ground, is like, throw me one more pitch, please. I, I haven't figured out exactly the extra spin on your rising dragon pitch. I want to do it one more pitch. He goes Christian from 2012. One more pitch. One more pitch. And, uh, everyone's like, geez, this guy's really obsessed. Uh, Burrito just leans in towards him and he's asking one more pitch. And he says, you know, I've never seen you look so alive. You really do love baseball. You should come play with us, Tsurugi. If we play on the same team, we can go at it all you want. But Tsurugi says, I, I, mean, I already told you, I can't. And he starts launching into this big, long explanation. like, hey, I, on weekdays, I get up this early. I got to do deliveries. I got to do this. I got to do this. I do this. Everybody's listening to it. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll help you. If there's less work, that means there's more time for you to play baseball. And Tsurugi says, no, 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 no. This is my family's problem. I can't burden other people. And Ryuta just says, you don't have to carry it all alone. Part of baseball is that we all share each other's burdens, right? 
And that's where the chapter ends. With Suryu just kind of being left to ponder this while they're waiting for his answer again. Yeah. Something that I appreciate about Nine Dragons Ball Parade, besides just how cool it makes an incredibly boring sport look, mm-hmm. um, is... Ryuno's a very simple character, but that's, you know, there's a very strong core to him that's really nice and believable. Where, yeah, it's he is just the kind of guy who'd be like, yeah, I'll quit the baseball team and join up with you because I want to play with you. I don't want to play with these guys. I want to play with you. Yeah, I'll help you out with I'll help you at your store because I want to be able to play baseball with you. It's just very simple and generous. And I believe that he would do that. So, yeah. Uh, I like it uh, a lot. I, I agree with what you said. Rik Ryota is such a simple character, but it helps then that you have Azu behind him, who is a bit more of an emotionally complex character who can give you the drama and everything like that. Um, and, I, you know, it's just a very sweet sentiment of tying it together. Hey, you know, you did get a hit off my ball, but it would have gone right to the right fielder. And that's how this works. Even if my pitching's not up to stuff, I have, you know, nine other players helping me and then immediately carrying that into, look, you're not we're all here to share your burdens we're a team that's what it means so we're going to help out now i don't understand how necessarily they're going to be able to do that because one of his responsibilities is to run the entire store in the afternoons when presumably practices and games would happen but i guess that's Hmm. just what cutting will do i guess she'll just have to run that part uh i don't know maybe you don't need a manager on site all the time or maybe they're like and today we just won't have a right fielder (laughs) they're gonna handle running your store for you um, but I, I really like the sentiment. I like, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember his name. Surugi. Um, I, I think he's a pretty cool character and I like the way the team's shaping up. Yeah. I just, I think most of all, just dig that one moment where they're trying to trick him and he's like, nah, it's going to be a fastball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's such a great he's got the pitches. <laughs> nope. He sucks. <laughs> Dr. Stone. Time to get stoned, Nick. And in this time, stoned means shot with bullets. <laughs> Z equals 190. Science transcends life. And it better because everyone died last chapter. Um, things are not going well. The last person to drop at the end of the last chapter was Ryusui, who fell to the ground after being shot in the chest. Uh, we see Gen is just in a complete panic. He makes a makeshift white flag out of some of his clothes and tries to wave it. And the flag gets shot. And uh, so that didn't work out. So run away. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the science lab has also been blown up. All the dams that they were working on are not are burning. So um, Kaseki feels horrible. He says, I couldn't do anything all that brain racking the diamond fiddling none of it mattered the medusa is only why man's to command a shining star beyond our reach i couldn't take a single step toward the future Nick. he's very sad Nick. He's like, not only are these people dying around him he's like it's all my fault i wasn't good enough Nick. he needs his peanuts he does he wants them he loves peanuts but Chrome says, not a single step toward the future. I wouldn't be so sure of that. Our power alone wasn't enough, but, and he's got the cell phone with him. 
and the phone is ringing. And of course, the call is coming from their North American team, from their ace watch technician, Joel, who has figured out the secret of crafting a diamond to be used in the Medusa. And he tests it by putting one of the Medusa devices in a wine glass and pouring some wine, I guess, into it, and then having it go off in a space of 0.03 meters within the glass. And it glows at the time that he declares it'll go off. And he says, this is it. Brand new science beyond anything from the 21st century. They figured out how to get the petrification device working. And he says, humanity now owns this for all eternity. So they can do it. They can make diamond batteries now. And Joel says, this task would have been nigh impossible without my prodigious skills. But then he says over the phone, Kaseki, I have you to thank. And we get a flashback from back when Francois sent the message in Morse code. We've split into two teams. There was a coded meaning behind splitting into two teams. Split like the diamond split. <gasps> and that message not only went to uh, the uh Senku's team, but all the way up to North America and was heard by, uh, you know, all of the, them lots, the Zeno and stuff. But in addition to Zeno's team uh, getting it, Joel got it on his watch, his handy dandy radio watch, which also got the Morse code. And uh, he's like, yeah, listen, I was listening in on Brody. And uh, I, I mean, so, yeah. Um. But he doesn't know what the message split into two teams to split into two teams means. Uh, and he's like, yeah, I mean, we've been communicating about the diamond batteries and stuff like that. But I don't know what this means and I don't know how to proceed in the diamond stuff. So is there some chance that your crew from Japan includes a master craftsman? Nick, Nick, I think I know who that craftsman is. I think I know who that craftsman is. Oh. And so he tests the, the uh, hidden meaning of the message that the diamond batteries that they came across have a central cleavage plane that cleanly splits the diamonds into when pressure is applied. And so he says, you've done it, Kaseki. That's all the insight I need. It'll mean backbreaking labor. But yes, I can replicate this and I'll stick my pride on it as a master of jeweled timepieces. And he says, do you hear me, Kaseki? Here, shining brightly, is humanity's first ever man-made Medusa. A joint effort between myself and you people. And Kaseki is left to hear the message. And he realizes, I'm glad to hear it wasn't all for nothing. All my efforts, all my life's work. It's a wondrous thing. I could drop dead today. We all could. Yet science finds a way to transcend our lives. It finds a way to build and build into the future. There's still half a chapter left. Aww. <laughs> no, end it there. Now that Joel has gotten that celebration out of the way. Oh dear, Brody has overheard some of this. And he crushes the wine glass with a Medusa device in it, in his giant hand. And he's like, ah, 
He put his put it on in that glass to keep us from confiscating it, huh? And then he smashes up the radio right in front of Joel and everyone else's eyes. And he says, No can do. This is the one thing we won't let you possess. We can't have a nasty weapon like that unaccounted for. And he has everyone turn their guns on all on the North American team. Back in South America, Kaseki says he regrets that he never got to congratulate Joel. And Chrome's like, well, you could use the radio. So it doesn't matter if Stanley overhears you at this point. And uh, so the three of them are talking again, who just failed to surrender, comes over and he's like, yeah, Stanley and his gang are, don't, have, don't have a radio right now. So, yeah, they won't hear overhear it at this point. And, uh, but he realizes, like, he realized what has happened, why Stanley rushed in like this. He says they, they deliver no ultimate radio. They ignore the white flag. They're being really aggressive. It's almost as if their transceiver was destroyed, shifting the hostage power balance in our favor. And Kohaku, Sukasa, and Yoga are hardly the types to lie down and die having accomplished nothing. And he's trying to say this optimistically and determinedly, but he's clearly like at his end. He's crying and he's, you know, seen a lot of what he thinks is death at this point. But they realize, of course, that that means they have control of the airwaves. In which case, they can do something. And so they send a message out through the cell phone, and it's received by Brody's team. And Brody's like, don't let the science brats hear it. It gets to Joel's watch, because they don't know that they can receive creative transmissions through the watch. And he says, hey, this is in Japanese. Uh, can someone translate it to English for me? So Minami listens in on the watch, and she translates for them. As the message is, something we don't know <laughs> we don't know the full context of the message but part of it is in order for some sort of full force suicidal attack and so the north american team rushes towards the gunmen who are bearing down on them there's a really cool like very comic book uh mm. spread kind of shot to it with them all you know kind of going coming down on them as they leap towards them so and uh kinro says as they leap into what they think may be their deaths we may fall here today, but science continues into the future. It transcends our very lives. And Joel says, as he has wondered up to this point, what gives them all such faith? I still can't go without a toast to victory alongside Kaseki, the master craft. Damn right. Game recognized game. So. Nick! It's all right, man. He ain't get peanuts, but he's still kind of happy. <laughs> Uh, so I have mentioned before, like the past like couple weeks, I was like, I have not been into Dr. Stone recently. I've just been unable to like get into it. And finally now, like three weeks into this, I'm, I'm accustomed to it. I'm in the pace with it. I'm ready to go along with it. It just felt very jarring to be like, all right, the attack's going to happen. And then suddenly like three of your favorite characters are dead. And then like the next chapter, three more of them are dead. Uh, so now I'm like at pace with it. I did have to like hold my breath the entire chapter. Cause I was like, if something fucking happens to Kaseki, I'm going to lose my shit all over everyone. I know it will not be pretty. It is going to be horrible. Um, but instead he gets this little moment where he gets to appreciate. Now, I do wish that moment of appreciating life and science didn't have to have the backdrop of him and all of his friends being murdered as fireworks and bullets riddled the sky. Um, it is a very beautiful shot. Uh, 
But I do really appreciate that he got that moment. And I think Joel even got to look cool here. This character who, <laughs> to this point, I was just like, whatever. He got this really cool moment. He's like, look, you must have a master craftsman because I would not have been able to figure this out otherwise. I still don't know exactly what anyone's plans are. We don't know exactly how Joel managed to figure out the battery situation. Like, he didn't say it over the radio. So I don't know how they're going to get a working Medusa in South America. Um, but I'm really excited. This feels like one of those big turnips. They don't have a lab to create them anymore. Well, all I need, I guess, is just one battery or something like that, I guess. And then I, I guess it's pretty precise, though. I guess you'd still need a little bit of precision. I don't know. Regardless, it's just something where this feels like one of those really good turnabouts in like Ice Shield 21, where suddenly you're seeing like a big switch in momentum or something like that. And it has me excited. I, I'm, I'm I'm really excited to see where this goes from here. Yeah. I guess we'll have to find out what the hell happens in order for the uh, for uh, the Science Kingdom to win out of this. Because uh, things aren't looking good even with this spark of hope yet. So. Yep. All right, Nick. Let's move on to Mashal Magic and Muscles. Chapter 55. Margaret Macaron and the Diminutive Duet. That feels like a Pokemon anime opening. Like, Mac, uh, Margaret Macaron and the Diminutive Duet, or something like that. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, everyone's just commenting on the fact that, like, holy shit, that guy just grabbed a fucking, like, tennis ball and just smacked it again. Like, everyone's like, holy crap, he beat him. And we even have Wahlberg saying, total victory over our Master Kane user. So he cut back. Uh, Carpaccio is pretty beat up. He's just like, ow, why does it hurt? Everything. I can't stop bleeding. Everything hurts. It hurts. Is pain always this awful and frightening? And then he starts thinking, was it always? And he, he's kind of cutting to all the shots of Finn, who was getting stabbed over and over again and still kept going. And he's like, he put up with this for someone else's sake? And, you know, Mash goes over to help him out. He's like, knowing that, will you stand against me as bravely as Finn did against you? And Carpaccio's like, the difference in our strength is, is obvious. I'm utterly outmatched. It's a shot of Mash carrying Finn out. It's a very cool little moment nice there. A little ribbon to put on everything. Because, yeah. Because uh, you know, now realizes that, yeah, he was completely wrong. So. Yeah. Very, very good moment. We cut over to Margaret, who's over with the other two members of Carpaccio's team. I don't remember who they are, and it's not really relevant because it's not they, get, <laughs> they get clowned here. So, uh... We just see the moment we hear the sound, a big sound effect happen, and Margaret like lifts his ear and he's just like, Ah, I hear a ray. And everyone's like, What the fuck are you talking about? He's like, Look, you see, power and pitch are like the same you thing. To me. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's the same thing to me. So I just compare it all to whatever that term is. Sulfage? I don't know. Uh, just like, it's gonna be like. Yeah, basically, the higher you are on that, the stronger you are. You two are just above a doe, the very bottom, and it's impossible for you to show me the coming of spring. So be good dears and just leave your crystals behind. They're like, eh, I don't really... We're not gonna... It's two-on-one. We could still die, fight you. We're gonna use all of our strongest spells. And it's like a real Zatch Bell moment where, like, these are two characters who just have to get eliminated, but we have to show off their books first. So here are their spells. One of them has uh, wolf magic and uh, big rock magic. Uh, doesn't matter. Margaret just 
fucking does a single spell, not even a strong one, and just destroys both of them, basically. And everyone's like, what the fuck? How is he this much stronger than us? And Margaret wins and just says, my pitch, by the way, is a T. As the two of you together can only reach Ray, I hope the difference between us is clear. And he just shatters their crystals and ends the exam. Uh, there is a joke because it just cuts to Dot, who's like, wait, I didn't do anything in this round. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we cut over. Everyone is like implied or everyone is teleported back to the arena. And they're like, hey, cool. Uh, there's a great moment, too, where Dot becomes an interviewer. And he's like, boom. Uh, now a word from this now round's MVP. This round's MVP, Mash Bernadette. How, How did it go? I want a cream puff. <laughs> <laughs> that's your answers, folks. That's a wrap. I uh, love the complete. He just, I want a cream puff. <laughs> <laughs> Expressionless delivery. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden it gets very quiet and we get a you cut back to Wahlberg. He's like, mash burn dead. What comes next will be your greatest trial. And everyone's like, ah, shit, this is, this is when it gets real. This is, this is the guy who gave rain Ames a run for his money last year. And we cut over to Margaret. Who's glowing with their dragon ball Z power or who just says the ripening summer is here. very nice simple chapter just kind of reminding us that oh yeah margaret is strong even though he kind of lost the first fight we saw him involved in um yeah they also supposed to mash yeah they also implied we didn't actually see his full strength in that because he could have probably done better if he wasn't protecting his classmates and we also never saw his second death spell i don't think so Mm -hmm. the idea that there could be more layers beyond him so I do really like it. I think the part I like the most is the little moment at the beginning with Carpaccio that feels like a really nice way to kind of tie everything together, as you said, in a neat bow and uh, makes it so that little detour really feels like it was part of a more complete story. So inevitably, when Carpaccio shows up as an ally at some point down the line or something like that, you know, it'll make sense. Or if we see him. At oh, some cool. Point. You're our friend. What's your magic? I stab myself and then stab them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to hang out with you. Yeah. So I, I really, really like that moment. Thought it was very good. Okay. Let's move on to Ayakashi Triangle, Chapter 37, Operation Capture Roshka. Uh, of course, the plan to capture Roshka. Involves Suzu acting titillating in front of Matsuri so that it seems like she is defenseless and Roshka will attack her and then Matsuri can come out and help her, uh-huh. basically. Now, I will note uh, this right now uh, again, because this is a series that you can't access through the jump app. Uh, I forgot to read it. Now, Nick, how horny is this okay. chapter? It's very horny. Okay. okay. <laughs> Hang on, let me skip through. Was, uh, I mean, I'm already okay. three pages in, and I can see the oh, one girl right. has a ridiculously detailed uh, visible panty line underneath her shorts. So somebody had to fill in the gap, I suppose, that left after a sweet uh, stopped writing. We never learn. Uh, okay. Uh, I mean, there's uh, naked showering. More naked showering. Sorry, sorry. Okay, so out of a 19-page, including the cover page, um, 
chapter. I see seven pages that don't have fan service on them. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. All right. It's good two thirds. Oh, uh, she gets naked too. Mm. She gets naked. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. um, Roshka is just kind of like observing Suzu as she goes about her day in her very tight shorts. Uh, and she's kind of interacting with her family a little bit. I don't know if, I don't remember if we've met her mother before, but we, we meet her mom. Uh, and also her weird Siskon brother is still there too. Uh, Roshka is kind of pondering while she's just watching Suzu casually about her days. Like Kazumaki's not around, even though I've threatened Suzu so much. Do they feel my presence doesn't require protection? They're underestimating me. She's pouting about this. Um, so she's like, fine, I'll show them all. I'll ambush Suzu in the shower. <laughs> yep. She showers. And Suzu's wondering, like, is Matsuri nearby to look at this butt? Uh, Wait, does she like, say that? Might as well be. Okay, I wanted so, to know. Well, look, her horniness has reached unparalleled levels, so I would not be shocked if she did say, I hope Matsuri's here to check out these sweet glutes or something like that. Something like, she says, we can't communicate on our phones in the bath, but I don't know, Chris. I've read, uh, if, you, if your phone is waterproof, you can. No, no Nick, you're going to make me cry again. Don't. <laughs> Or, you know, if, you know, you're we never learn and, you know, you just are willing to sacrifice the phone. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, we can't communicate on our phones in the bath. No, no. So she doesn't know if Matsuri is in the bathroom. So, yeah, she's like, he could be really close looking at this body at this very moment. Oh, I'm imagining that is making me feel. Oh, no, 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 no. I should be serious. I can't be thinking about that. I've got to focus on Roshka. Can't be the silly me. Can't be thinking about that but i'm curious or my butt is curious anyway because this is where the thoughts are coming from now why does roshka want to be the king of ayakashi and then roshka appears behind her is like did you think you would be safe at home don't take ayakashi lightly we can do many things humans can't if i got serious i could freeze you solid in seconds you should be trembling to your core rog i don't know why she goes rog but she said rog but then, now that Susie's gotten a good look at, at Roshka, she's like, oh, you're super cute. And Roshka's like, oh, 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 you think so? Like, no, don't make fun of me. Ha! And, of course, Matsuri was hiding in wait the whole time. So now that Roshka has revealed herself, he comes in and snags Roshka from behind. And is like, gotcha. And, uh, yeah, he's been hiding this whole time. And Susie's like, so you were in the bathroom, Matsuri. Matsuri's like, I was looking at the wall. Uh, I also like the uh, particularly sharp detail of having her word bubbles cover up her vagina. Yes. Uh, a, a, a tactic so shameless in its execution. You're like, all right, I suppose you had to do that. <laughs> yes. Uh, Matsuri is so flustered by the fact that Suzu remembers to cover up the top but not the bottom uh, that he starts to cover his eyes and it sends him tumbling backwards and then Suzu realizes oh right the vagina it covers that too Roshka falls in the bath and it's a hot bath so she jumps out like oh it's so hot and her clothes have melted off a great amount because she is an ice Ayakashi so her clothing can melt I'm sure that that will never, ever, 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 ever come up again in this in this manga. Never again. 
she thinks that they nefariously threw her into the hot bath to deal with her, which I mean, it's probably been a pretty good idea to try and do that. Uh, I, I suppose they didn't uh, realize it doesn't actually defeat her. It just melts her clothes off because then it's a, a very different context to what you're doing. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, she holds up her hand to, to cast some sort of ice magic. So Matsuri grabs Suzu and shoves her into the bath to take cover. Uh, but nothing happens. Instead, uh, Roshka disappears. And then Matsuri realizes, oh, right, Suzu is naked and uh, there is a glow covering her nipple. Uh, then she's like, here, take the invisibility cloak. Uh, it'll, it's just fabric if you don't put colon injury into it. Uh, Shirogane was disguised as a towel the whole time. OK, so. Uh, oh, Nick, I think we missed a little detail. Uh, so back yeah. b- back when uh, they're in the tub. Matsuri looks down and sees her boobs and like, you know, obviously you can't draw nipples on boobs. But if you look, Matsuri's eyes are the nipples. So, you know, you get the whole picture then. So, Nick, this is a fun game if you want to play it at home. Uh, Grab your copy, your physical copy of Aikashi Triangle, and you just uh, cut out where his eyes are and you just turn, you put them, then you get the full shots. Kind of like a, like, (laughs) like a fun mat at a friendlies or something like that. You know, you get a game to play, essentially. I don't know how he's seeing that nipple head on like that. Maybe he should be at angle. Maybe he's like a Hanna-Barbera character. And what he's thinking about will sometimes just be projected in his eyes. Like he's thinking about money and a big dollar signs of beer. (laughs) 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 And just giant nipples shoot out of his eyes. Anyway, Shirogane says, I saw what happened. Roshka was sucked into the mirror. She's using mirrors to move about. And Roshka isn't the only enemy. There's another one, too. And the mirror has eyes! Spooky eyes! And uh, so suddenly the mirror starts glowing and Roshka, not Roshka, Shirogane and Suzu and Matsuri are all sucked into the mirror. And Shirogane gets squashed by Suzu's butt because we need we didn't get enough shots of that before. Um, so they're wondering what happened. Matsuri realizes because he had... Uh, a bottle and sees that the text on it is backwards that they've been sucked into the mirror world. And so Shirogane explains like, yeah, it's a world inside the mirror. Okay. And uh, Shirogane starts to explain that there is only one who is capable of this. So at that moment, Roshka is speaking with the person we saw them speaking with before the person at the pool. And uh, she asks, why did you pull them into this world? And the mirror Ayakashi says so we can work together to defeat them for good now you see that threatening them isn't enough in this world i ungaikyo can unleash my true powers and roshka says got it the power of friendship which is a bit of an odd thing to say but chris if i know anything about about series that are very heavy on fan service Unless this Ungai Kyo has a really hot human form, then they are actually evil. And they're deceiving Roshka, who will come to see the error of her ways and will keep on showing up, but on more friendlier terms to get her clothes melted off. I'm I'm pretty sure that that's going to happen. So I also assume uh, in situations where her clothing could come off more frequently, or perhaps she'll come up with an outfit that's uh more sexual in nature because the series seems to have trouble when it doesn't have that to rely on 
Yeah. Um, how much of this chapter is content as opposed to fans? I think like three pages. <laughs> three pages. <laughs> if you, if uh, well, you... let's see. Uh, what, what can we put, cut out? Uh, you can cut out the pe- you, you cut out the family in the beginning. Unnecessary. Yeah. A couple butt shots. Uh, Roshka shows up uh, to threaten Suzu, gets upset with her. Suzu acts kind of nice to her, and she gets distracted. Matsuri grabs her uh, fan service shot. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, she disappears through the mirror. Uh, Shirai says, I saw what happened. They get sucked into the mirror. Uh, the, why is the bathroom back? We're in the mirror world. Ayunga Kyoko's uh, eight pages. You, okay. you can do this chapter in eight pages. Okay, okay. So yeah, I think she's gonna, she's got to start doing some more heavy lifting because like a big skirt. I mean, there's barely anything sexual <laughs> about that. So you know, I don't make the rules. Unfortunately, um, I just unfortunately read this series from week to week. Yeah. Um, I want to clarify. We're not judging you if you're enjoying this series. It, on a level, I'm enjoying it too. But when it comes to chapters like this, it's like, okay, come on, you know, it's, it's a little bit much. But it can stand. I'm sure that 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 uh, Kentaro Yabuki can stand to have people make fun of him for having a bunch of blatant fan service in his series. Oh, oh no. yeah, it's not a commentary on fan service. It's just one of those ones of like quite gratuitous with it the this week. <laughs> Aren't you good, sir? I I suppose you did write to love Ru or not write, but drew for to love Ru and darkness. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, it, it does make me laugh now that there was a joke in a, a me and Roboco chapter not that long ago about like, uh, someone really jump and they're like, "Uh, you can't go past Ayakashi Triangle. You, you're you're too young. You have to stop at Ayakashi Triangle." <laughs> uh, all right, Nick. Let's talk about Black Clover. Wrap up with Black Clover. There's no One Piece yes, this week, unfortunately. No one piece. But we're going to wrap up with Black Clover, page two eighty six. A night with no morning. I wonder what that means, Nick. I wonder if there's uh some kind of symbolism in a character with darkness. And a character with light, like a black and white dichotomy of something we could maybe work with. Yeah, and uh, and Black Clover's never done that before. None. I don't think it's happened before in anything. So never. I wonder if we'll be able to figure. I wonder if someone will be able to crack the code this week. So we're into flashback with Nature Boy Ric Flair, uh, and we find out what they were like when they were a kid. You know, he was just like, "Look, something isn't fun for me. I'm not going to do it. I'm just like, you know." I'm just, I'm just a bad kid. I guess I'm just born bad. I was just drawn bad, you know? I'm the bad boy. <laughs> and just cut, like, starts right I mean, when his brother dies. Cliff, he's just kind of, like, walking down a hallway. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, just like, look, no, but my little brother, total opposite. Everybody loved him. He loved everybody. He sacrificed everybody. He had the light magic attribute, which I guess isn't nearly as rare as they kind of made it out to be when Patrick had it and leashed, but, you know, whatever. Uh, they're like, hey, look, we're identical, but you wouldn't even think we were the same species. I think you guys are probably the same species. I think you're going a little bit too far there. Maybe not related, but same species, I assume so. Like, I don't like Ted Cruz at all, but I still think most people would be like, yeah, you guys are both humans, right? Like, I mean, yes, in the medical way or in the biological way, humans. So <laughs> in the medical way, we're both humans. Maybe maybe he doesn't have a human soul. Yes. But... In the spiritual, in the philosophical way, probably not. But yeah, biologically, we are still part of that same <laughs> that same kingdom. So um, using 
sees yeah i think so yeah uh anyway they're like uh you know around that time i got my grimoire and i heard rumors about an eerie foreigner who or a foreigner who used eerie magic so i wanted to go see him it's yami and basically nature Brook flair and yami got into a bunch of trouble together because they both had dark magic or something i guess magic is supposed to be very symbolic of your like characteristics as well in this series but it's also hereditary so I don't really know. It seems like a weird thing to bond over, but hey, they had a connection. They hung out together. And then, hey, the two of them got joined together into the Grey Deer Brigade, which, interesting. I didn't know that. That must be like an extinct branch or something like that, because there are deers, but uh, aqua deers. Aqua deer now, yes. So So a little detail that's maybe supposed to be interesting, or it might just be a mistake. Or I've forgotten. All of these are equally as pointless as a conclusion, because, hey... This is all just backstory stuff right now. They're like, I didn't think Yami would ever be mentioned or make it as a, you know, magic knight. But hey, there he was. And my little brother got along with the two of them, you know, and it was like, just, you know, was the same. You know, I didn't like him having all of his magic and everything like that. Even though my brother would be like, you know, you're the coolest person ever. You have the greatest talent for magic and tried to get me to join the knights. I'd be like, nah, fuck that. So eventually my parents summoned me. My parents were like, hey, you're going to have to inherit the title of the House of Faust. And he's like, no, I'm not going to. Just have Morgan. They're like, no, it needs to be you, Nature Boy Ric Flair. (laughs) And then they cast Shadow Magic. And it turns out their parents dealt with Dark Arts. Dun-dun-dun. Yes, we study devils. Um in kind of an ambiguous way it's definitely illegal but it's never explicitly said we do it for evil reasons uh and nature book flair was just like sweet i get to be dark and edgy and uh yeah he starts studying devils and he shows a talent for it so while morgan and yami were up there becoming a dynamic duo of light and dark i threw myself into the study of devils and eventually my parents were like, make a contract with this super powerful devil. And uh, it's the supreme devil, Lucifagus. Uh, Excuse me? Can say that again? Lucifagus. <laughs> Lucifagus. <laughs> Just go on, then they can't stop me. Uh, but then who should show up? But Morgan, who's like, yeah, I knew my parents were doing this. And I can't stop them. If they're going to summon the Supreme Devil, it's too bad. And Nature Boy Flair is like, fuck you. I'm going to do this right now. It surpassed my limits. I'm going to summon this super demon. And he summons Lucifagus. 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 And, uh, yeah, Cofagoras or whatever that mummy Pokemon thing is. It's similar names. It's just like. Um, too powerful. I'm gonna fuck your faces up and all your fa- everything you guys care about. They're like, shit. This guy's too strong. The ritual's supposed to like suppress this a little bit, and it's not. Devil's just like devouring everybody except for him because he's the one who invoked him, and he can't do anything. He's like, ah, I shouldn't have fucked with this. And Morgan runs up and is like trying to to you know destroy the the, the the little wristband it'll destroy the 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 whole ritual ah and it works it cancels it and lucifer i guess goes away but nick 
Morgan dies too. Nick, this is the other saddest moment of a brother dying in Jump this week. Uh, he's just like, uh, shouldn't have ignored oh the God, fact. Oh God, which is worse? I shouldn't have ignored the fact that my my brother was experimenting with devils and stuff. But I I loved you all so much, and you. I always thought of us as knights of shadow and light, which I guess is why I allowed my family to experiment on devils for so long. But uh, I'm dead. You should be the good one now. And Nature Boy Flair is just like straightforward, so dazzling. I couldn't even look at you. That was what you were like. And I really loved you. Even if I couldn't shine, I wanted you to do it. If I was beside you, I felt as if to defile your light. So I, Nature Boy Flair, starts screaming and is just saying, I, the one who should have died. I beg, I beg. And then uh, there's just a moment of him saying, don't go spouting whatever is convenient at the time. You did whatever you wanted and now you're in trouble. You count on the gods. Don't give me that, you idiot. Who in their right mind would save you? So until I die... I will never forgive myself. And we see the scene that we saw before where Nature Boy Flair is basically kind of like crucified on ice and stuff like that. So he says, I'm not trying to rectify your evil. I'm going to kill you before you lay a hand on any good people. Here and now, I'll surpass my limits by summoning Satan again. I wish that was the line. He just pulls out the bracelet. He's like, maybe this time it'll do what I want. Come on out. He's like, look, until you get my name right, I'm not going to do your bidding. Lusmrigus. <laughs> Susan? <laughs> Sandra? I'm like, no. <laughs> That's the cool desert planet. That's <laughs> where the cool things happen. Oh, God. All right. So I want to clarify. So a lot of times when people say like, oh, it's so cliche. Oh, it's just like X, Y, or Z time when it did this. Um, obviously, you know, any combination of factors, unless something has been blatantly specifically ripped off, is going to not be exactly like any other. But if you start to see, you know, a lot of surface parallels between certain situations, it kind of encourages the connections in your mind if you're uh, um, familiar with both. And so if a fictional work reminds you of another fictional work, you can't help but, you know, in your mind kind of compare the two. And unless the one you're currently reading is strong enough to stand on its own. It just reminds you of a better thing, one that you could be reading or watching instead. Uh And thus it compares it unfavorably to that other one. So when I think of like, Oh, there was a devil ritual that had to do with two brothers and one of them died. So, so that the other could live. I'm like, man, remember when black Butler like defied our expectations and stuff and had that, that, and uh, it ended up being pretty good. That's the kind of thing that, you know, why you know like when i say like oh this is just like you know naruto or whatever and it's like yeah because i like that series and i don't like this <laughs> and being reminded of a, th- a series that i liked makes me dislike this one more that's you know so um i liked not better 
before we knew anything about his backstory. Mm-hmm. A lot more because this is just very lame. And, oh, I didn't try. And my brother was great. And then he died because of something that I apparently got into like five minutes before he showed up and died in the accident. Like, it seems like the whole my family was experimenting with devils thing should really have gotten a lot more focus than it did, because that's his whole thing is making contracts with devils in order to be stronger. And apparently his brother dying because of, you know, a devil did not put him off of using devil contracts to be stronger and to accomplish his goals. So why was that? Why did he react the way that he did? Well, I don't know. We just know that, you know, his brother, who was the good one, died. And he pushed himself away, I guess, for that. But that has seemingly nothing to do with the whole devil ritual stuff, which seems to really come out of nowhere when it's finally brought up. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of seems like, well, then he died. And uh, he was sad. And that's kind of it. So there's that. Um, it seems like it's supposed to be satisfying when Nox goes, well, I never wanted to say this, but I'll do Yami's cool line. You know, the line of the guy that I hate now, which by the way, didn't really get any indication of why their relationship soured either. I don't know. It just seems like we were just like being meant to be given some information that doesn't seem to actually apply to the case that we're currently working with. This either needs to go on longer or not happen until later. And I don't know why. I don't know. There are so many things wrong with it that, like, in order to say, well, this is how you should have done it, you can go in, like, 50 different directions. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think this was not the best way to do it. So, you know, it is what it was. But, um, yeah, I agree. Just not a particularly satisfying backstory that seems to really go anywhere. Very convenient as well that it's like, my family practiced dark magic, and one day I did a super contract, and my brother was there. I don't know, it's just one of those things that just feels kind of like, uh, meh, in general. No, we didn't forget that Ass's training took place in what is probably Nox's ruined home. I'm saying... What did that have to do with the entire point of the flashback, which was I was just the opposite of my brother? Like, that has nothing to do with the situation that he's currently in. Why is he thinking of that right now? <laughs> yeah, it, uh, the, the the backstory doesn't actually seem to really connect with what the the lesson Nature Boy Flair seemed to learn from everything. Wait, I've got it. He's fighting twin devils. That's why he thought of it. Okay. Ooh. But here's the thing. People are saying that it means, oh, it explains why he has a grudge against devils. Why does he have a grudge against devils? His brother died because of his family's own stupid fault to decide to start experimenting with dark arts that they had no right controlling. Like, it's not like a great explanation, you know? It's like saying, like, hey, my family experimented on zombies and a zombie broke out and killed my brother. Uh, I hate zombies. Like, no. You should fucking hate your stupid parents for having zombies underneath your house, probably. <sighs> okay, so 
That's the manga for this week. Yes. No no One Piece. Matt, we use that period there. Go back to that little bit. Like the whole Mr. Rogers thing. Like think of uh, the people whose smile makes you smile. I want you to go back to that silence right there and imagine a really good One Piece chapter that was in there instead. Okay. And there was a, a new Frankie mech. It's Frankie. And, uh... It's all Frankie. <laughs> it's all Frankie. We immediately connected on it. It's just Frankie saying really, really, really lame lines. <laughs> yeah. I'm a I'm a writer of freedom. And stuff like Fuck that. yeah. Right. Oh, great chapter. Okay, so that was awesome. Chris, other than that uh, One Piece chapter we just made up, what was your favorite chapter this week and who was your MVP? Uh, so this is tough. I actually found a lot of series this week to be really, really good. I think I'm going to give my series of the week to, ah, I know I'm doing this because of who I am, but it's going to be how it is. I gave you my series of the week to Kaiju number eight, because I really, really like that chapter. Mm. I'm going to give my MVP to Kaseki. Oh, I totally get that. Oh, goodness. Uh, okay. So Black Clover. Mm-hmm. And Frankie, no, <laughs> not, the, not the good Frankie, the uh, one from uh, Swipe. Oh, <laughs> not the guy. I was gonna say it, it'd be pretty impressive. He wanted, he wanted in the imaginary chapter of One Piece we had in our minds. <laughs> I am going to give mine. You know, you said at the beginning of the week of the uh, of the uh, episode rather that there were some good series this week. So this is a pretty tough choice. I am going to go with the elusive samurai. Okay. I really like the way that it sets up the first, I'm going to assume half of this contest between Tokiyuki and uh, Sadamune. Um, and yeah, that's, a, that's about it. No real flaws to kind of speak of. All right. My character of the week, I think has to also be Kaseki. Oh, it's either Kaseki you. or Joel, because like, I just really like the way that he, Taking the time to say, like, hey, I know Kaseki didn't get to do a cool invention during, like, this entire leg of the journey, but it was definitely important that he was there to, t- to you know, to have that moment was really nice. And honestly, more than that, just the heartstrings gripping that it does when he thinks that he has let down and gotten all of his friends killed mm-hmm. and then to be told, no, you led us to victory and even if people die here your accomplishment will live on is great so yeah yeah i like that a lot um i think it was um, a pretty sweet chapter for everybody uh the audience by the way picked uh oops i closed the fu- there we go uh nine balls dragon parade ended up being their chapter of the week and <laughs> zonzige from maguchan is their character of the week Understand. There you go. Four zones again. Yeah. You really just wanted to make a friend. So. Yeah. Good chap. Guys, that is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap. We want to thank you all for joining us. We record the show live on twitch.tv slash here on Wednesdays, starting around between 7 and 8 Eastern time on, in the evenings. You can also check us out on Twitter at Davidmar Podcast, at RolloT, at Nick F. Time, and we will let you know exactly when. The episode recording is starting up. You can also check out our Discord server. Use that to participate in conversations with our great community. Uh, talk about, you know, the series that we're going to be discussing, the recap series, all that stuff. And participate in weekly Among Us 
games on Saturday mornings as well. Yeah, we've also, uh, not to interrupt, we've also been playing a lot of board games recently as well through uh, Board Game Arena. So if you're interested, go check that out. There's a whole tabletop thing. There's a site on Board Game Arena where you can play games for free. So it's a really cool thing. And you can do it like as play by turn as well. Uh, uh, you can check out our past episodes on weeklymogrecap.podbean.com as well as on YouTube. Our backlog over the last several years is going up, uh, gradually uh, having releases every couple of days, and uh, we should be caught up relatively soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would like to thank NinjaX3i for all of his help in uh, getting our backlog up, as well as maintaining the Google Doc, which keeps track of our recommendations. Uh, and uh, audience uh, votes on series MVP and series of the week and stuff like that. And we want to thank you, our great fans, as well as our supporters on Patreon, who allows to create bonus content for you guys to enjoy. We recently recorded an episode where we got really angry. Uh, so Yeah, we, we did a, a top 10 characters we don't like, or most hated characters, and we both came out with wildly different lists, but it, it makes it mm-hmm. so much more fun to go check it out then. For once, we did a top tens, and we had no overlap between yes, our top tens. No, no overlap. And uh, we would also like to thank Milo Jack Stilitz and Winslow Del Cheddar for creating the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap. You can now see that on all of the uh, videos that are being posted to YouTube. And Steve Manor Taukars, you can check out his artwork wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet. Yeah. So I don't know if you still have the chat open, uh, the the Twitch chat, but I did post a picture. I, I, I kept it up. I, I want you to acknowledge the stomping fetish Pokemon, Nick. I need you okay. to acknowledge her. All right, I'm 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 up opening the page right now. Okay, the uh, page is loading, and I mean, okay, um, <laughs> I'm sure it does something for some people. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't even like like that steps on you. All right. <laughs> She, I guess she levels up by learning stomp, you know, or they, I should say, you know, it's not like low bunny where, uh, the sexiest form needs to be female. I feel like, or it was that low bunny, low bunny, low bunny. I can't remember. I feel like there's one Pokemon that only evolves if it's feet. No, I'm thinking of the, never mind. I'm thinking of the salamander. No, well, that one too, but there's also, um, Wait, is it female only? I got. I I have to know now because now I'm curious. I know it's supposed to be uh, a uh, a Playboy thing. No, you could. There could be male low punnies. Yeah. I don't know. I'm probably thinking of Sal. Is it? Okay. There's yeah. there's like a female one there, but there you go. And excuse anyway, me, people are like uh, yeah, for all on <laughs> fetish needs. Uh, yeah. Well, stay tuned for next week uh, when we go to Sandra and there's going to be a stomping fetish villain. So, you know. I mean, you say that and uh, now it's going to happen. I, so. I might have read ahead. Who knows? 